South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And if you call that number right now, if you're the next two callers, you'll probably get right through because Matt and Frank are in front of you. They'll be our first two uh, guys that we talk to. It's a beautiful Sunday morning out there, though. It's uh, going to get hot this afternoon, but then supposed to get back into a little bit more seasonable fall weather, giving us a real good chance of rain. I haven't heard anybody officially say why, but I'm sure it's, imagine it's that little tropical storm that's moved offshore from the Pacific side and I'm hopeful typically that's where we get some of our best rainfalls for those storms that come across Mexico and then make it up as far as we are but keep your fingers crossed that's what we really need this coming week so anyway well enough of that let's uh, go ahead and get started with phone calls this morning and Matt was first in line good morning Matt good morning Um, excuse me Got a frog in my throat. Me uh, too. Go I, ahead. <laughs> I've got an asparagus bed that uh-huh. has been overrun with Bermuda grass. Okay. So when, I was hoping that I would just dig those out and transplant them into a new bed that um, I've solarized and everything, and so it's ready to go. All uh, right. Is that even <clears throat> possible? Will I get all those bermuda roots out of there if i try to transplant those well you'll just you'll have to do it very carefully you'll have to really sort out and uh be sure that you just pull the bermuda grass free from the asparagus roots it's it'll be pretty obvious asparagus has a big thick root many times almost as big as a pencil whereas bermuda runners and all are going to be more the size of a the piece of lead in a pencil so um that is certainly that's certainly one of the most efficient ways to do it. Unfortunately, you will set back your production a little bit because you you can't dig without doing some damage to the uh, to the asparagus roots. Uh, but that that certainly, uh, provided your new bed is totally Bermuda free, that's the best way you'll totally clean it up. Uh, the other option would be to compost your uh, asparagus when you cut it down. You know, I I generally wait and see if it freezes. If it hasn't frozen by the end. Of December, that at that point I'll cut it down to about two inches tall. The other option is, would be to wait until you've done that and then put about three inches of compost over that, and then you'll find the Bermuda pretty easy to pull as it tries to come up through the compost. But uh, that's, that won't be 100%, and that'll be an ongoing issue that'll probably take you three months to get it under control instead of one afternoon. So the choice is yours. But it's a good plan. If you want to really totally eliminate the Bermuda, and you'll you know dig very carefully, separate the Bermuda very carefully, then that's going to be that's going to get you off to a clean start, assuming your new bed is free of Bermuda. And like I say, I'd, I'd wait till either we have a hard freeze or until the 1st of January when you would normally be cutting your uh, asparagus back to an inch or two tall. Okay, that was my next question, is when would be the best time to do that? Yeah, if it if it freezes, if it browns out the top on your asparagus, which effectively puts it into dormancy, do it any time after that. Um, I've seen years when, you know, we didn't really have a freeze until end of January, 1st of February, and I'm not about to try to predict weather. That's, that's only crazy people do that. But uh, if it hasn't frozen back uh, by New Year's, I would cut it back at that point, uh, 
do your digging. And the nice thing about doing it this way is you don't have to do it all at once. If you've got a 25-foot row of asparagus, um, you can do five feet at a time uh, one day a week. And, you know, at the end of a week, it'll all be done. But um, you will want to, you know, shorten your picking season uh, this spring, just as you would if you were planting new roots. Uh, I'd still go ahead and, you know, pick for a week or so, but you can't stretch it out and take, you know, everything that comes up for the next three months like you can on a well-established bed. Okay, and would it be a good time to divide any of those crowns, or... How long has your bed been in? Uh, About three years. Yeah, you're not going to find that they've gotten big enough to divide. I'd leave them intact because that's going to give you bigger, more plentiful stems. If you told me 13 years, I'd tell you, yeah, you could probably do some dividing. But uh, three years is a very short period of time (laughs) in an asparagus crown's life. Okay, and so my bed is its just a 4 by 8 bed. Uh How many asparagus plants should would you put into that four by eight bed? Well, you don't really worry too much about crowding. And uh, if it's only four feet wide, you can get to it from, you know, all from both sides, so to speak. So four foot wide bed, I'm probably going to put probably three yeah, probably three rows of asparagus crowns about a foot apart. So uh, um, that's going to be room for at least a, a dozen good plants. You say four by okay. six, actually, that'd probably be room for, you know, like uh, 18, 18 crowns because you can put them up fairly close to the ends, fairly close to the sides. So somewhere between 18 and dozen and a half and two dozen crowns because, like I say, it doesn't hurt them to be crowded. Okay. And then my next question, I have another four by eight bed that I want to put some blackberries. Uh And so my question is, so if I have one of the cattle panels, would Uh I put that like in the center and then put blackberries on each side? I would. Yeah, no, I, I would, I would put it a little off center. I'd put it, uh, like three feet into the bed, uh, and then I would plant back blackberries along one side only. Uh, eight feet, did you say six feet or eight feet? Eight feet. Eight feet. You can put about, you know, six to eight uh, blackberry plants there, and um, it's, it's going to make a very thick growth. Uh, the the one side, the wider side, you want to leave that alone because your blackberries are going to put out little underground runners or rhizomes, as we call them, and put up some new plants that you'll transplant out or, you know, put plant somewhere else uh, but you want to leave yourself plenty of room for them to do that uh, they're going to grow through that cattle panel they're not going to really extend too far into the walkway on the other side but it's going to make a a thick growth along your your cattle panel support and planting on both sides of it would just be too much you uh, okay. you'd, you'd, you'd get torn up a lot trying to get in to pick the berries and then as you know if you've grown blackberries before at the the end of the picking season, you're going to have two kind of classes of plants. You're going to have the plants that produce berries for you, and you're already going to have a lot of the new growth coming up from that spring. So what you want to try to do is go through excuse me, and, and the plants that produced, you're going to cut them all the way to the ground because... Uh, 
that keeps things very vigorous. It reduces uh, the few disease problems that you can have with blackberries. But you just don't want that blackberry bed to be too crowded or it's too hard to work. So uh, I'd plant, you know, one row of blackberries on the wide side of the bed right up against the base of the cattle panel and uh, get ready for some delicious eating. Okay. And then um, do you have any idea, any good strategies to keep those stink bugs out of my blackberries be watchful and if you see any sign of them spinosad is the uh you know is the product to use um Try not to do it while you have active blooms on your blackberries because spinosad can be hard on bees. But um, other than that, it's, uh, you know, I I wear garden gloves and the old thumb and forefinger, you know, is my method of controlling a lot of things. But stink bugs are generally not too much of a problem. If you can be very selective, most of the worst stink bugs start out as a juvenile that's red in color with black legs, and they tend to run around in a in a big bunch. And if you can catch them at that stage before they're spread out all over the berries, then just one good squirt with your hand sprayer of spinosad should you know you should be killing them 15 at a time that way and they will not be numerous enough to become a problem for you okay well i appreciate it thank you so much for your time well it's a pleasure that's what i'm here for and if you can find roseboro that is still my favorite blackberry the old standard is one called brazos it's a very good producer it has a smaller berry though and if anything it's even thornier and uh the uh, roseboro's been a little hard to find the past couple of years but it's still the biggest juiciest most productive blackberry i can find uh so if you can find that one that's the one i would would be my top suggestion okay and you don't have any at Shades of Green right now, do you? Not yet. Hopefully by okay. February we will. You probably are not going to find blackberries until, you know, early into 2024. Um, if you find you need any more asparagus, that will probably show up about the 1st of January. Typically we start seeing blackberries about the 1st of February. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Matt. Great questions. Thank you, sir. Thank Let's you. go ahead and talk to Frank And uh, before we take our next break. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Bob. Uh, morning, sir. One's about potted plants and the other one's okay. trees. I'll start first. Last In September, we spoke to you about uh, recommended trees and such out here in Spring Branch. Uh-huh. And so we did. We got uh, two. We got a Mexican sycamore and we got a uh, chickapin oak. And they're in 45-gallon containers. They've already been planted by... You know, a, prefer, uh, a person with a stronger <laughs> back than myself. <laughs> Wait, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you didn't use the word professional. There are a few of them out there, but uh, hard to find people that will dig holes these days and, and deal with something that probably weighed 300 pounds. But as uh, long as they got that root flare up at the surface, uh, should be off to a good start. They did. And the trees are four and five years of age, roughly. Uh-huh. I guess the question that we had is, they had to use a machine, obviously, to to bring them from the truck, and then they put mm-hmm. them in the ground. But they also had to jackhammer a little bit out here, you know. Uh, how does that rock affect these trees? 
the rock will not affect the trees at all. The thing that um, I, you know, I hope they did um, is after the hole was dug, you always want to fill it with water and be sure that that water drains out. As I always tell people, water doesn't hurt anything, but if the soil stays too wet, uh, the water drives the oxygen out of the soil, and that's what kills tree roots. And I see people occasionally basically jackhammer a bathtub into a layer of rock, and the water has nowhere to go and never drains out. If that happens, you've either got to, or whoever's doing the hole digging, either has to break through that rock and be sure that the water can drain out, or if you hit rock in too, you know, too close to the surface, what you do is either create a raised bed or a berm, just a mound up, because uh, rocky soil, I mean, gosh, look at the gorgeous live oaks we have in the hill country, probably right around you too, that are growing in very rocky soil. Soil. But if you dig a hole in such a fashion that it can't drain, that unfortunately will ultimately be the kiss of death for the trees. Okay, so I believe all that is true, what you stated, because they, okay. did, they did, water has drained away, and since I've watered them, the water does drain away. Yeah, you might want to, um, out of a 30-gallon, you said they were in 30-gallon buckets? A 45. 45-gallon buckets, and that bucket's going to be about 18 inches high. It might be interesting to move outside the root ball, you know, a few inches, and just dig yourself a little, you know, post hole down in there uh, that you can observe so that you can, or, I, I mean, I, I would even consider going as far as uh, drilling a couple of holes in a piece of plastic pipe and putting down there somewhere close to the root ball, and then you can stick a long pipe cleaner, you can stick a, you know, bamboo stake or something down there, and just be sure that there's never water standing in the bottom of that hole. That that is the only thing um, that really could go wrong as far as is digging in rock. It's just like say jackhammering a a hole in it that doesn't drain. But uh, hopefully they did that right, and it'll be not a concern for you. Okay, so then the, the, it's funny the way you you stated that it was leads into my follow up question, which is the drip line watering. When we water, do we we need to water outside that berm any that these guys made? Um, a little bit, uh, because obviously you want the roots to spread out. You don't want the roots to stay in that hole. And roots are going to grow where they have oxygen, nutrient, and moisture. So you need to, to work and be sure that that's the situation, ultimately several feet out away from the trunk of the tree. So uh, your main watering will be, you know, the size of the root ball that's there. And some of that water is naturally going to spread a little further but uh when you're checking to see if something needs water always feel right at the base of the tree because you know that that's where it's going to dry out fastest through the process of transpiration but when you water water a little outside that just to give that keep that soil as a place that those roots would want to grow if that makes sense it does because i was considering that but i wasn't sure fertilizing uh frequency um if you if you want to encourage maximum growth use a liquid fertilizer maybe once a month a hestero plant or their liquid fish blend or something like that if you want to use a dry organic fertilizer do it uh, once every three months or so okay we did hestero last week 
Yeah, then, yeah. Do it about every do it about every three three weeks or three to four weeks, and uh, that'll get things off to the best start and year round because those roots stay active even when the top of the tree is dormant in the winter. And watering as we go into the winter, every other day. No, nah, stick your stick your finger down in the soil when it's dry an inch deep. Um, it's time to water again, but. Every day, if you can, and the temperature is above freezing, pick up that hose and just spray up and down the trunk, especially on the Mexican sycamore. It's going to dry out faster. It's going to require more water than the oak. But at that stage, while the bark is still true, is still smooth, both of those trees are going to absorb lots of moisture directly through the bark, and uh, that's what's going to make for a really healthy, fast-growing tree. Yeah, he's the Mexican sycamores. You know, it's fall and starting to drop a few leaves. So yeah, um, and staking, staking in a tree of three or four to five years of age is that necessary? No, and it's a bad idea. Um, okay. If you. You're going to have to visualize this. If we were on TV, it'd be easy to show on a blackboard or something. But if you, if those trees, either one of them, are in a spot where you get a lot of wind, and you're worried about the tree, you know, rocking back and forth or blowing over, by far the best way to anchor the tree to the ground, and, uh, you know, close your eyes and visualize this, but take two pieces of pipe that are maybe four feet long and lay maybe three or four inches out from the trunk, but lay them flat on the ground on top of the root ball, and then anchor the two ends of the pipe. You can do it with a U-shaped rebar. You can do it with a big rock or whatever else, but anchor both ends of that pipe that will keep the root ball from rocking back and forth and that's the best way to secure a tree you have to you know watch it when you're mowing around because obviously you don't want to hit an iron pipe with a uh, you know with a lawnmower or whatever but that is the way that when you've when you've planted a tree the size that you have planted, that is the absolute best way to anchor it in position so it doesn't rock around and break the new roots that are forming. Uh, does that? Did you get that mental picture? <laughs> did it come through clear, clearly? I did. They're on the south side of the, the back porch area out of the house, and so they're sure. they're basically where the old cedars were, um, uh-huh. and so well away from the house, and but they're blocked from the north wind by the house. But outstanding. I've had a question about a watermelon plant. She's going to ask you. Okay. Hi, Watermelons. Uh, Good morning. Yeah, it's a it's a watermelon polia, or also called an aluminum plant. Oh, pilea, pilea, yeah. Yeah, aluminum plant, pilea cateri, if I remember right. But yeah, it's a great, great little house plant. Yes, yes, and we actually got it from y'all. <laughs> <laughs> very good. It started um, not doing very well. I, I had transplanted it because it was in its little grow pot and it was drying out like almost every other day, and it's in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sits in a window. Um, it's not touching the window because I read that that wasn't good. Um, but it sits on the floor, and it it was doing real well. And then I transplanted it, starting not doing so well. So I've cut it all back. All the leaves were falling off. I've cut it back. It does have some new growth. And then I read to try uh, to 
increased humidity put it on a bed of like oh no don't don't worry about going to that much trouble main thing with a with all the pileas and there are some of them upright like that one there are others that are trailing but they want really bright light they want to sit right in a south window or a west window indoors i don't think you would ever have to worry about giving it too much light and you want to water it super thoroughly when you water it when it's dry on the surface it's time to water again what you're describing is typically what they do if they're not getting as much light as they would like so and i hope you didn't put it in a real big pot never go to a pot that's more than an inch uh inch wider than the pot that it was in because it won't dry out evenly but uh aluminum plant uh, is uh and and don't confuse it. There's a plant called watermelon peperomia, but I've never heard I've never heard the use the water term watermelon used in, in conjunction with this plant. But um it should come back out. It should do very well, but be sure that it's getting the light it needs, be sure it's watered thoroughly when it's watered and then allowed to dry properly. A little has to grow or something like that every three or four weeks and it should come back out and be prettier than ever for you. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you very much. You guys have a great Sunday. Appreciate the call. Thank you so much. All right. uh, Looks like I get to talk about another of my favorite people, and that's Rhonda and all of her staff out at Rhonda's Nature's Way. Just one of the neatest places around, a family truly dedicated to your good health and getting there naturally. I've known Rhonda for a lot of years, followed what she's done, and let me tell you, she's been my source. And uh, I take a couple of supplements. I take some things to support my immune system. That's why why I had so few problems and everybody else was coming down with COVID and continues to. But Rhonda provides things to support your body, whether it's your immune system, whether it helps you get proper sleep. If you've got digestive issues, there are natural things to do. And just about everybody can use a good supplement every now and then. And what Rhonda and her staff offer, so much better than anything you're going to find in the grocery store or a chain pharmacy. Plus, best of all, they have the knowledge to help you figure out what's going to keep your body working best. Like I say, I've been a customer and friend at Rhonda's for a lot of years now, and I have no hesitation sending you, as I've sent so many people. One of our employees says that, uh, you know, he suffered from uh, chronic pain uh, joints and things for years. She got him on a simple supplement, and the pain simply came very close to vanishing totally. If you're trying to lose a little weight, she has some good suggestions, some great things that really taste good but aren't loaded up with sugars and carbohydrates. If you... uh, If you've never had reflexology, schedule a reflexology session sometime. It's amazing. But most of all, just get by and see Rhonda's Nature Way. They're closed on Sundays, closed every Sunday, and major holidays. But other than that, she's open. Looks forward to seeing you out there in the shopping center at the corner of I-10 and Callahan, kind of across the parking lot from Sprouts. Remember that name, Rhonda's Nature's Way. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening and straight back to the phone lines. It's going to be Diane and Chicken Joe and Bonnie and Paul. Uh, Diane is first in line. Good morning, Diane. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing today? I'm off to a good start. Uh, I was just telling my engineer, not quite as much fun as sitting outside down at the herb market yesterday, but it's a beautiful morning out there. Yeah, I hear you. Okay, I have two questions. Uh Uh-huh. First, what is it called when a seed 
won't germinate unless it's planted with another plant. Like it has to have a friend. I really can't think of any seeds that that would apply to. There are other plants that are, there are a number of plants that cannot grow and thrive um, unless they have a mycorrhizal fungus association, orchids being one of them, and long story I won't bore you with behind that. But, um, oh, you're taking me, you're taking me way back to botany. That's not even horticulture. Um, it's probably commensalism or something like that, uh, I believe is the word. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a matter of, of germination. It's a matter of continuing to grow and thrive. And uh, because your mycorrhizae are not so much associated with the seed as they are with the hypocotyl, which is what you call the, the first little root thing that comes down in the case of dicots, uh, um, which probably the great majority of plants are, but I believe it's commensalism or something related to, close to that. Okay, well, the reason I ask is because I tried growing Bush Morning Glory from seed. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you recall, I put out like 30. I put out a whole flat of four-inch pots with seeds and maybe two germinated. I mm-hmm. did cutting and they all grew. So yeah. I had those orange pots full of dirt, and I'm like, oh, got to use the dirt somewhere. And so as I transplanted plants from one pot to another, from a smaller pot to a bigger pot, I would use that dirt. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, those seeds would germinate once they had mm-hmm. a friend. Right. And so and- ev- everywhere, everywhere. And they had been sitting dormant for months, the seeds uh-huh. in the dirt, doing nothing. Okay. Well, like I say, it's it's most likely based around a mycorrhizal association, probably ectomycorrhizae rather than endomycorrhizae, but that would be the principal thing that would account for it. Now, recognize that we know from Elaine Ingham's work that uh, plants are covered above and below ground, usually several layers thick with beneficial bacteria, along with the mycorrhizae that associate themselves with the roots. So um, I don't, you know, you can look up, uh, oh, what are the, uh, it's the the genus of Morning Glory, uh, Ipomaea or something like that. You might look that up in a good reference, Um, you know, not not a normal gardening book, but a little more scientific reference, and see if they mention, um, you know, any necessary mycorrhizal association or any particular you know, thing that's out there that, you know, will help them develop a root system and grow. But some sort of mycorrhizae would be my would be my first guess. Now, if you wanted to, you could get a little package of mycorrhizal fungi. Um, there is a company actually up in the Bernie area. Um, David Steinbrenner has a company that produces a quality blend of uh, both endo and ectomycorrhizae. But uh, just as an interesting thing, I don't know if you have a, a good microscope or not, but it would be it'd be fun to you know dissect away a little bit of uh, of the root system and look at it under a really good stereoscope or um, you know even under a more powerful microscope and see if you find any mycorrhizal association with those morning glory roots. Uh, that that would be the that would be what would occur first to me. 
And the mycorrhizae, when they are put under stress, most of them will form a resting state. It's not, I don't know if it's a true spore or uh, exactly what the nature of the resting state is, but it can remain in the soil for years and years. So I, I think that that is what would seem most likely to me. Okay. Now, do you, I don't have the microscope, um, but do you sell the the mycorrhizal fungi that you were we talking do. about? We do. Yeah. Oh. Uh-huh. But now. Put some of that in the dirt to see if that would elicit germination? I would be a very interesting thing to do. Um, yeah, it would be an interesting thing to do. The other thing that you could do is, uh, you know, if you, and, and who knows how much is still in there because who knows exactly where it was stored, but if you're buying any of the nature's creation potting soils or compost, they add mycorrhizae to that soil. Um, I, you know, legally I probably can't say it, but I just happen to know that chances are very high that if you're using any of the dry, uh, well, if you're using the dry grow and green fertilizer from, from Medina, um, chances are you're going to find some mycorrhizae there. Stuart can't put it on the bag unless he pays the government a bunch of money for testing and things like that, but he can add a lot of things. He just can't say that they're in there, but I, I have a strange suspicion that you might find <laughs> some mycorrhizae if you're using growing green you know, in the soil around those things as well. It'd be great to, it'd be great to you know, get a bag of mycorrhizae, but you know, that's 20 bucks you might spend on some, rather spend on something else and when it's probably already in some of the soils and some of the fertilizers that you use yes i happen to have a couple of bags of that stuff okay my next question i think this is the time to be harvesting sweet potatoes but since it's been so warm Mm -hmm. would, would it be wise to wait till it cools off a little bit more makes no difference. The sweet potato is not a perennial plant, and a sweet potato doesn't truly ripen. It simply gets bigger and bigger. So what I tend to do is take my index finger and probe down in the ground, and when the sweet potatoes have gotten to a size that you know I want to use, then I'll harvest them at that point, whether it's early in the season or late in the season. Um, I mean, if you're out to win a contest, uh, I've seen pictures of sweet potatoes that weighed 45 pounds. Uh, take quite an oven to cook that but uh, it's it's not going to ripen it's not going to change as the weather changes it's simply going to get bigger okay awesome thank you so much bob You're the always best. a pleasure always a pleasure to hear your voice and uh you uh you get out and have a great sunday and we'll talk again soon and keep up the good work with paws in prisons that's a really cute cute young dog that you sent a picture of and and we're considering it uh somebody we know including me probably wants a golden this time around but uh uh you guys are doing such great things over there in seguin keep up the good work thanks bob you have a great day Thank you. Goodbye. And if you don't know, she's associated with a group called Pause in Prison that uh, part of the rehabilitation of people who've had the 
misfortune of having to be incarcerated. Uh, part of the rehabilitation, great program they've had where they take uh, abandoned or homeless dogs and socialize them, raise them, get them healthy, and then look for healthy homes, happy homes for them. So uh, if, you're looking for, if you're looking for a dog, consider the Paws in Prison program. They're really, really great. I get to talk to you for a moment about Medina. Isn't that a nice coincidence? Because Medina makes so many good products. Uh, they're fertilizers, of course. They're liquid fertilizer products and their dry fertilizer products are outstanding and you know, always done with natural things. The Growing Green Original is actually certified organic, and it costs them a lot of money to get that certification, but that means it's legal to use if you want to sell your produce as organically grown at the farmer's market or whatever. Medina makes other products that simply support the life in the soil. That's how they started out with their soil activator and later improved that to what they call Medina Plus. They also, gosh, they package dry humates and liquid humate products. They package the best orange oil in the business and so many different things you want to see the complete list there are a lot of things they package for big agriculture and a lot of things uh, to support your septic tank among other things but go to medinaag.com to see all their products and visit a good nursery or garden center that recognizes quality that's where you'll find things from medina agriculture south texas gardening with bob webster news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 all right, let's get quickly back to gardening, and looks like uh, Chicken Joe's up next. Good morning, Joe. Hey, good morning, Bob. Good to see you in the nursery yesterday. Yeah. I, oh, I want to tell you, yesterday at your nursery, it looked more beautiful than any nursery, including Shades of Green. <laughs> well, you're very kind. We uh, we take pride in making it a place where people feel comfortable and want to come whether they need anything or not. That's right. Well, like you say, you know, you got to pay to get into the botanical garden, but you got to pay to get out of shape. <laughs> but it's a personal choice. What's going on yeah. in your world today? <laughs> well, hey, you, you mentioned the herb market a few minutes ago. Is that going on today? That was yesterday. Oh, that was you. yesterday. Yeah. A day late and a dollar short. Okay. It's always, if you want to put it on your calendar, it's always the third Saturday in October. Um, I don't. I think it's been that way the 32 years they've had it. But uh, um, that's that. That's the best way to keep up with it. And uh, uh, it was it was a nice event. I of course uh, can't stay all day. I have to come back and go to work. So, uh, but it was sure getting off to a good start when I left yesterday morning. But uh, you know, it, you as I well know, you blink twice, it'll be next October, and uh, hopefully you'll be here then. Okay, great. In in San Antonio, uh, I mean. I know you'll be you'll be around somewhere, but hopefully you'll be in San Antonio then. Me too. Yeah, yeah I was about to make a bad joke about that. Um, <laughs> well, um, I've got a couple of questions this morning. Uh, I've got an interesting situation in my front yard. I have two identical red oaks. They're mm-hmm. uh, oh, they're 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 big ones, uh, and one of them was a zombie tree. But my favorite uh, arborist in the world helped me bring it back, uh-huh. and it's looking really nice. But my other tree, which didn't have any problems during the great, the big freeze, uh, it has—I swear—it must have a million acres on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, 
is that the case in all over town, or is it just my 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 trees? It's a case wherever it's yeah. It's a case wherever the trees are stressed, and most trees are stressed from drought. Uh, occasionally, you may find an irrigation system that's good enough, or maybe a young enough tree that it's you know not oversized. But drought is. Uh, or, or let's just say any kind of stress is what makes plants really bloom and consequently make seed very well. It's uh, You stress a bogavia a little bit, it's going to have a lot more flowers on it. Uh, you stress a pecan tree up to a point, it's going to set a lot more nuts. It's going to take plenty of moisture to have them fill out. But uh, a lot of the trees are, are they're, they're, uh, seed production in the case of oaks that we just call them the seeds acorns but uh, for the most part uh, stress environmental stress is what determines uh, when a tree sometimes puts on a bumper crop something in there says hey we're not too good off we might die so let's make as much seed as we can okay all right that's what I thought but I just was concerned yeah um, and the other question, I need a I need a little primer on taking care of a staghorn fern. I got a staghorn at uh, Green Green Shades of Green yesterday, and uh, it's in a pot. I never had a staghorn before in a pot. The first mm-hmm. staghorn I forty years ago was stapled to a little bit of peat moss on a board, and it ended up being four feet across before I even think I thought chicken paradise. <laughs> and I'm not going to have to take care of it very long, but uh, I bought it for a Christmas present, and so I got to take care of it for a few months until a couple of months, I guess, until mm-hmm. Christmas. So well, I never watered it. Stag yeah, well, let me lot, lots, it. lots of light and lots of water. Um, it, it's kind of like it's kind of like many orchids uh, in nature. Staghorn ferns grow uh, not necessarily clinging to the side of a tree like an epiphytic orchid, but they grow up in a crotch in a tree or something like that, where they are close to being what we would call true epiphytes. Uh, and also, just like orchids, if they're maintained on a plaque or in a wire hanging basket or something like that, where they can make you know multiple small plants around them um that's how they that they they take very hard regular care you probably have to water daily you just uh, uh it's a lot more pro- trouble to take care of a staghorn or an orchid on a plaque than it is in a pot and fortunately they adapt just fine to pot culture now in time if you can put them maybe in a wire basket or something like that uh you know they'll get even bigger they'll make even more little plants growing in there but uh they're in a pot for convenience and you will find that they are much easier to maintain as far as frequency of water and things like that. But beyond that, the three secrets are light, humidity, and uh, regular watering, a little bit of fertilizer now and then, of course, too. But um, you simply you won't have to water as often in a pot as you did that one that was on a plaque. Um, but uh, that's, that's really the only difference, and it... Uh, I mean, ultimately, it will want to grow, and I think the best way to probably do it is in a big wire hanging basket with a core liner or something like that, but eventually it's going to outgrow the basket, and when that happens, you give it away because it's too much problem to take it apart and, and repot it. Believe me, I've I've done it for friends before, but that that's the only difference in, in what you've got there, Joe. 
Well, I I will tell you real quick that just at at the at toward when that pot got when that stag only got to be about thirty years old, I actually gave up on getting bigger and bigger uh, wire containers, and I just drilled holes through it and put cables mm-hmm. through it. Oh yeah. It but uh, okay, so I actually water the soil. Yeah. Yeah, water the soil, and uh, other than that, everything's going to be the same. I don't have time now to go into the interesting botany of staghorns. They're one of the ferns where the sterile fronds and the fertile fronds are totally different, but next time you buy the nursery, uh, we'll talk about that if you're interested in it. But as far as culture, uh, just be sure you never let it get dry. Um, Use good liquid fertilizer, and uh, the care is just uh, less intensive in a pot. Okay, super. Well, as usual, you've been very clear, and so I'll let you get on to the next caller. Well, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, I need to take one quick break here, and then it'll be time to to move on to that next caller, Bonnie and, and Paul. So hang on just a second while I talk about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. And uh, again, people say, why do you talk about a roofing company? I say, well, peace of mind. How much time does the average person with a shingle roof spend worrying about their roof? If you listen to the ads, you're probably worried all the time because they're always telling you either the heat hurts your roof or the cold hurts your roof or the hail hurts your roof. There's always some reason they need to come out and inspect it and perhaps replace it. Now think how much more peace of mind if you have a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof on your your home or office, uh, then you can be like me or like our staff here at the nursery. We don't worry about our roofs. They've stood up to hail. They've stood up to high wind. They've taken a couple of lightning strikes, and they're just as good as the day they were installed. Southwest Metal Roofing Systems, their motto is do it once and do it for life. It's the last roof you'll ever put on your home. They even do new construction. If you're building a new home, simply tell your builder that you want Southwest Metal Roofing Systems to put the roof on. That's what we did with our groundwater district office up and Bernie. They simply put on the best roof in the industry. There are lots of choices of colors and styles. Get the best warranty in the industry. And it's a roof that's so energy efficient, it'll save you money every month on your utility bill. And probably your insurance company will give you a discount on your homeowner's insurance. How many reasons do you need to pick up the phone and call 210-822-6868? 210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. First in line is Bonnie. Good morning, Bonnie. Bernie. Good good morning. Good morning, but it's not Bonnie, it's Bernie. Oh, Bernie. Okay, well, very good. (laughs) I, I probably read it wrong or else I can't read my own writing. How can I help you today? I've got a question. I have a fig tree, and my neighbor has a fig tree, and I get no figs, and she has figs. But she does absolutely nothing. The whole summer, she didn't give it a drop of water. Mm -hmm. What am I doing wrong? Um, Figs require you know good bright sunlight uh the better soil they have the more figs they will produce and quite frankly there are probably f- at least 15 different varieties of figs uh that will grow in this area typically the ones that are bigger figs uh require more water a lot of the little small figs uh will produce whether they get water or not but if you want to have good figs lots of sun 
plenty of water and uh, heavy mulch around the trees and it's probably just that uh, either she's got a little bit more soil where hers is planted or it's probably or it could be easily could be a different variety of fig than you have and some of them are definitely much more productive than others oh oh so it's nothing i can do <laughs> well, you can you can get a cutting or you can uh, do what's called air layering. I'll let you look that up on the Internet and see exactly how you do that. But you can go get a little piece of hers and plant it and uh, and then threaten yours with a chainsaw and say, look, you know, you got some competition. If you don't produce, you're out of here. But uh, I, I suspect it's just uh, so long as yours is getting, you know, lots of sun. That's the other thing. You can take even a very productive fig put it in the shade and you won't get nearly as much fruit but uh i i suspect it's just a different variety is why uh, hers is producing while yours is reluctant oh okay well i thought you'd give me a magic bullet (laughs) (laughs) well i wish i could but uh uh, you know, sometimes uh, you just, and, and like I say, you don't have to go buy one. The figs are very, very easy. Look up air layering. You just you slice a little bark off one limb, wrap some moist sphagnum moss around it, wrap it up in aluminum foil. You need to do it while the weather weather's still pretty warm. Uh, you know, within a few weeks, uh, you'll have lots of roots growing out into that uh, moss, and then at that point, you just cut it off. You've got a pre-rooted cutting, and you pot it up. If her fig has has a limb that's very low to the ground and you want to do it even more easily bend up a coat hanger pin that fig limb to the ground put a couple of shovelfuls of soil on top of it by next spring it will be fully rooted uh you can cut it off dig it up and have your own and uh if she's a good neighbor i'm sure she wouldn't mind a bit so why don't you try to get a piece of her started and then y'all can both have good figs okay that's a good one i'll do that one Okay. Thank you. You're certainly welcome. Sorry about getting the name wrong, and we'll move along to Paul. I think we got that one right, didn't we, Paul? Good morning. Hey, good morning, Bob. Uh, Suggestions on where to get bulk uh, compost and and living mulch? Probably... um, The many places have more than one type of compost. Uh, I'd have to say perhaps the majority of the compost that is made in this area is uh, is by uh, New Earth Technologies, and you can buy directly from New Earth. But they they do because the city pays them to. They also excuse me. They uh, produce a biosolids compost as well. Excuse me, which I do not recommend for yards. Okay, on agricultural land, but uh, I want a manure-based compost, and you go directly to New Earth, the company that has the most locations around. Uh, it used to be called Stone and Soil Depot. Now it's called Site, S-I-T-E, Site 1. And um, there are a couple of smaller compost companies around, one over toward Castorville that typically have very good compost. But the main thing I want you to be sure of is that you're getting manure compost as opposed to biosolids compost correct and that's what i want to stay away from that as well so uh so site one is basically marketing for new earth products 
Uh, that's uh, now you'll have to ask them. That's what as long as Chef Knight owned the company, uh, that was where he got the majority of his. Now, um, one of his locations and one of the site one one locations is uh, the original. Um, one out on 1604 that uh, was Fertile Garden Supply. And for a while, they were making some of their own, but uh, I, I doubt that Site One is doing that. They're a big company based in Georgia, and I think they are more, oh, kind of like resaling. I mean, we buy most of our plants. We only grow a few of them ourselves, and they buy most of their compost rather than make it themselves. But uh, uh, they do have a reputation, and they're you know, they're out to be honest with you and, and give you good quality. Uh, I'm not choosing them over, and I need to list some of the other companies uh, because there are some other good ones around, but they are the biggest and they have the most locations around, so probably they're going to be the closest to you and consequently would probably charge you the least amount to deliver to you if that's the option you choose to take. Yeah, yeah, location, location, location. <laughs> uh, that's it. One more question, Bob. <clears throat> so my key lime uh flower set and they got to be about oh almost bb size yeah and then they dropped off paul let me get greg to put you back on hold we'll talk about this a little bit more because i've got to go to news here on ktsa radio south texas gardening with bob webster is on the air talk to bob now 210-599-5555 all right. Well, let's get back to gardening calls. Paul, I'm sorry. I just I have to get out right on the second for that national news stuff. So sorry to interrupt you, but we were talking about your key lime. Uh, you said it set fruit. They got up to pea size, and uh, then we had to listen to something uh, less important. <laughs> so let's continue that conversation. So maybe not pea size, but like a small BB, and then uh-huh. they just stop, and they never drop, Bob. They just, they're still on right now, but they're like you say, just not doing anything. So the heat? The heat is a very likely cause. Um, It also happens when you don't get much pollination because, uh, you know, the purpose of making fruit is for a plant to reproduce, and it has a little built-in system that knows whether or not um, it's gotten pollinated enough to form some seeds inside. Normally, if the lack, if the cause um, is poor pollination, then they will, like I say, they'll turn yellow and drop off. In this case, it probably was the heat. Uh, it They should, if that is the case, you know, they should resume growth. Uh, as you've heard me say, I'm sure many times, a plant has what's called a compensation point and that's how much energy it takes to stay alive when the compensation point gets too high as it was most of this summer there's simply nothing left over to grow and bloom and produce fruit so uh, now that we are back to more favorable weather um, fertilized water and they're probably not going to make real big uh, key limes but the thing that the reason we grow most of them is just for the juice they produce and even a small key lime is going to probably be quite juicy and the fact that there is some fruit on there it really should not interfere uh, key limes of course are one of those things that can bloom any time year round they're not like Persian limes and most other citrus that does all of its blooming in February or so and then produces everything in the fall key limes can bloom any time they can set new fruit at any time so it's not unusual on a good healthy tree in a little bit more reasonable condition to have small fruit medium-sized fruit and large fruit all at the same time so i wouldn't cut it back i wouldn't uh 
there's not anything in particular I would do other than be sure you're watering and fertilizing. And hopefully, um, at least a number of those limes will go ahead and uh, resume their development. Okay, great. The plant looks good. It just, yeah. Like I said, they just put the growth. So, all right, I'll stick to it and appreciate the help today, Bob. Always a pleasure. Thanks for being patient. And uh, next holler is Yolanda. Good morning, Yolanda. Yes, good morning, Bob. How are you today? I'm good. It's a beautiful morning out there. It's going to get warm before the day's over, but I'm sitting here looking out at a beautiful garden and enjoying a pleasant breeze coming through the window. So hope your morning is off to as good a start as mine is. Oh, yes. I'm an early bird, so I've been doing all kinds of stuff today. Very <laughs> I do good. want to ask you a question, though. Um, I have some wildflower uh, seeds, mm-hmm. and uh, last year I put them out like, uh, spread them out like in October, uh-huh. but this year because it's been so hot, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I just don't know if it's still a good time to put them out this October. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Most varieties of wildflowers aren't really going to germinate and grow until spring. But blue bonnets in particular have to be planted in the fall because they have like two life stages. And they have to make this little low rosette of leaves several months before they put up that big spike with the beautiful flower. So uh, those, if you're going to get any flowers from them next spring, they, they need to be in the ground uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks. Others, um, yeah, you might get away with waiting till spring to plant them, but most of them are cold hardy. Most of them will germinate and have a chance to get a good root system established so that when the, water, the weather warms up in the spring, they can jump up and flower and the flowers will last for you. So uh, I would recommend planting the seed rather than storing it. Now, uh, hopefully we're going to get the rain. Hopefully it's going to, you know, give us the weather that will give us a beautiful spring as far as wildflowers go. The nice thing about most of our Texas wildflowers is that they are so hardy, uh, the seed can sit there for several years if uh, if the weather isn't right for them to, you know, sprout and grow and bloom. But uh, if you don't plant them, <laughs> they're not going to bloom for sure. So I'd, I'd go ahead and uh, plant them. And, of course, you know, you don't have to bury the seed or anything. You simply rake the area throw the seed mm-hmm. out, and as long as it makes good contact with the soil, has a good chance mm-hmm. of uh, growing and giving you flowers next spring. Right, right, and that's what I did last year. And and I was thinking, because it's going to rain here, hopefully, one day this week, <laughs> so I'm going to go out there and kind of rake and throw them out there, and hopefully they'll get some rain. And so that I, save me a- That's an excellent idea. I'm telling people get out and plant your winter rye if you want to get that out. If you're thinking of fertilizing or putting out compost, there's just a lot of things a person could be doing today and tomorrow getting ready for hopefully what's going to be a, a good rain event this next week. Yes, I'm so excited. Well, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out there, rake, then spread them and pray it rains. And <laughs> if not, I'll have, have to water. <laughs> you have fun doing it, Yolanda. I appreciate the call this morning. Thank you for your information, Bob. You have a good day. Thank, Thank you very bye. much. Goodbye. All right, uh, next in line is Martha. Then it will be Mark. Good morning, Martha. Good morning. Good morning. I wanted to ask. Oh. <laughs> Go ahead. Hi, yeah. Bob. I wanted to ask, uh, how can I take good care of my begonia? I got one and it's beautiful and it was fine for a little while, but now it's turning, the leaves are turning yellow. 
and so I don't know if I'm doing something wrong or what's going on. Can you, you tell me what? Can you tell me what kind of begonia it is? There are Rieger begonias or angel wing begonias. There are our common uh, garden variety begonias we call multifloras. Um, does yours have big leaves or small leaves? Medium. And what color are the flowers? Pink. And how tall is the plant? How tall? Well, it's not very tall. The, the, the limbs go out and they go straight at, you know, uh, parallel, not horizontal. So okay. it's not tall, but it's in a big it's in a big pot. Okay. Um, are the leaves rounded, or are they uh, are they more shaped like uh, a proverbial angel wing would be? Yeah, that's how they're shaped, like a little angel wing. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, then that is an upright begonia that typically will live for several years. Um, they, If they're outside, they want to be in very bright shade or morning sun. They don't want the hot afternoon sun, but they need lots of light. They'll have to come in when its uh, temperature is going to drop below, say, 35 degrees, but they're going to be much happier outside than inside up till that point. Um, okay. Be sure that when you water, you water very thoroughly. Thoroughly, then let the soil get good and dry on the surface. If they're dropping leaves, it usually indicates that they're not getting enough light or they've gotten a little too dry at some point. So I would, you know, water them, fertilize them good with little Garrett juice or Super Thrive or something like that. And like I say, if they're outside, have them in morning sun or really bright shade when you do have to bring them inside. And then we probably will get at least some cold this winter, but uh, keep them in the sunniest window you can if you don't. Don't have a greenhouse. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have a back patio that doesn't get that is uh, covered, so I won't mm-hmm. get the snow or freezing rain that you know comes. But it's it's open. Yep. But I kind of wrap them up with something. Well, and hopefully we're not going to have to do that much, too much this winter, but be sure they're out right toward the edge of the patio where they get plenty of light because that mm. that kind of begonia, if they're going to grow well, and they do bloom some, they're more grown for their uh, leaves, but uh, they do have attractive flowers periodically, but they need lots and lots of light, everything short of just that blazing afternoon sun if they're going to grow and perform well for you. Okay, so you think I'm I'm probably getting it? get too dry between waterings and that's why I the think, leaves are turning yellow? I think that's the main reason, but it also may not be getting quite as much light as it wants. And remember, there's no such thing as too much water, but there is too often. So when you water your begonia, really flood it thoroughly, then let it get dry about an inch deep and water it very thoroughly once again. Okay. Sometimes I, okay. I see, and then you're a good gardener, so this probably isn't you, but I know a lot of people that water them too often, but they don't put enough water on them when they do, and they're actually dropping leaves from lack of water because uh, they the roots are all the way down to the bottom of the pot, and not everybody realizes that, you know, you got to really soak the entire pot to keep a begonia happy. So a little more light, a little bit more, uh, I'll say a little more care in, in watering because you're always going to not have to water as often in the winter when it's cooler and darker and the days are shorter. But watch your watering real carefully. Do give them some fertilizer, and um, they should put on plenty of new leaves for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. 
My pleasure, Yolanda. Thank you so very much. Okay, quick break here. And uh, I'm sorry, that was Martha. A real quick break here, and then we'll be back with more phone calls. I get to talk about Fanuc's Nursery and Garden Center, and uh, it's always a pleasure. I've known the Fanuc family for, gosh, most of my most of my nursery career, and just good people, big nursery, lots of experience, and kind of the special people that love plants, and that's why they're in the business. Sure, it's how they make their living, but uh, you can tell the difference in a box store and a really true nursery. And Fanuc's is a true nursery. It's been around for close to 90 years, right in the same location over on Home Green Street. And right now, gosh, I talked to somebody at the herb market yesterday that said that they were just running over with the new fruit trees that they've gotten in, mostly in containers, which means you're going to get about a year's head start on getting them into your orchard. Fanuc's is also well supplied with all the plants that qualify for the Saws Water Saver Landscape Rebate Program. They've got the fall and winter vegetables that you're looking for. They've got garlic and shallots by the pound. And they've got lots of things for inside and uh, all the organic fertilizers, supplements, uh, uh, natural pre-emergence, just about anything you're looking for for your landscape or garden, you're going to find it over at Fanix. They're open every day to serve you right over on Home Green Road where they've been for all their close to 90 years, and they're there to help you. If you want to check out for any special events or anything like that, you can always go to Fanick, F-A-N-I-C-K, FanickNursery.com. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening and straight back to the phone. Go to, go to Debbie. All right, um, I believe Debbie will be next then. Good morning, Debbie. Good morning. I still hear music. I don't know if you're there. <laughs> we just kind of backed that off real slowly. I'm right here and looking forward to talking to you. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for getting up early and helping those of us that get up early. Well, it's my pleasure. I get up early anyway, but uh, this is a fun thing to do on Saturday and Sunday mornings. So how's everything in your world? Wonderful. It'd be better if we had a pretty rainy day. And hopefully we're going to see that next week, but uh, I'm afraid I'm the eternal optimist. I hope it. I hope it works out that way. From our mouth to God's ears. So we're going to put in some raised beds for vegetables. What do you suggest we put them in? I mean, you can buy metal ones. You can buy box ones. People make them out of foam kind of things. How do you mm-hmm. suggest we start that? <laughs> make them big. Um, I, it's, I don't recommend railroad ties anymore. They, um, you know, the, Either they're so old they're going to rot out on you or they've still got so much creosote in them you wouldn't want them. Uh, metal tends to, well, tends to rust out even when it's galvanized, and the zinc in there can be hard on your plant. So uh, if rock is still a good thing to make a raised bed and relatively attractive, uh, cinder blocks are an excellent thing to make a raised bed and not very attractive. There is a type, I don't recommend treated wood either because they've taken the arsenic out, but they still have some pretty nasty stuff in there. Um, 
there is a type of wood that is excellent for raised beds, but the bad thing is there's no place where you can buy small quantities of it. It's called Eco, E-C-O, Eco Vantage, and it is a treated wood, but it's not a chemical treatment. It's a heat treatment that bakes the carbohydrates out of it so the termites don't go after it, and it is so thoroughly dried it actually seals the surface of the wood so it doesn't rot. They've had it in ground contact in East Texas for 30 years, pilings in swamps uh, for 30 years. If you ever want to see what it looks like, uh, come by Shades of Green because we built a couple of greenhouses and uh, a couple of (laughs) overhead structures. We've used a fair amount of it uh, in construction around here, and it's absolutely outstanding. But they, I'd I'd go to uh, ecovantagewood.com and uh, see what they suggest. They they do have an outlet in San Antonio, but it's not a place you can go buy one or two boards at a time. If you've got a big building project going on, or if you're a professional carpenter or whatever, um, or if you're like us, you buy $5,000 worth of wood at a time, uh, (laughs) they're set up to deal with you. But uh, EcoVantage wood is an excellent material to use to make a raised bed. The other thing that you can buy, not quite as pretty, but um, that is very permanent, is the, I call it fake wood or artificial wood. This material is called Trex, T-R-E-X. It's actually a plastic material with wood fibers embedded in it. Uh, There's a lot of it sold to build decks and things out of. Uh, Lowe's is one of the big suppliers of it here. And uh, like I say, unless you've got a real big project going on, uh, and if you want to use something that you cut like wood, that you screw like wood, that you drill like wood, um, the the Trex-type products are excellent to make a raised bed out of. So they're your choices. Oh, okay. And I know what Trex is because we built a deck with some of that. Okay, mm-hmm. well, that's a good option. And what should we be planting probably three or four weeks from now when we get that built? You can plant lettuce, chard, kale, spinach, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, lettuce, radishes, carrots, beets, turnips. <laughs> we'll we'll have to All watch. Yeah, we'll we'll have to watch the weather. The one thing about planting from seed is it takes those little plants a little while to harden off to really get to where they can take the cold weather. But uh, everything I mentioned will typically go down to the teens without damage. But uh, if it's a plant that just came out of a warm greenhouse or if it's a little seed that just sprouted they're going to need a little time to harden off and you'll have to protect them at first but in a typical san antonio winter those are things that uh that we plant pretty much throughout the winter months um yeah if there's anything in particular i'll happily tell you more about it but the list of different things you can plant is actually longer in the fall than it is in the spring and you know we can back up and i can add bok choy i can add there's just a lot of but i guess to sum it up i'd say root vegetables leafy greens and what we call the coal c-o-l-e the coal family which is broccoli and its relatives those are all things we grow in our winter gardens here come about january we'll be planting the uh, edible pod peas for production later in the spring too so we don't plant any tomato right now none of them oh no not unless you've got a greenhouse now other things that we'll be planting pretty shortly when they're available are onions and uh, of course right now you can plant garlic you can plant shallots there's things like that but the true onion plants uh, they'll be available in the nursery uh, come early november hopefully Oh, that sounds 
good. Well, t- you were just talking about fruit trees or mm-hmm. during your break or just before it. So I have a lemon, a lime, and a – it makes a teeny little orange. Somebody gave it to me, and you actually can even eat the peel, and I don't know what it's called. but It's, it's called, so called a kumquat. called a kumquat, Not to be confused with the loquat, this is a kumquat. Well, it's, it's finally, after years, full of blooms. And we had lots Good. of bees this year uh-huh. for the first time. But I put them in a bigger pot. I put a lot of dirt on them. Yeah. When do I want to put them in the ground? They've been potted about a year and big. <sighs> well, certainly not right now because we don't know what the winter's going to be. Um, the kumquats are the most hardy of the things that you've mentioned, and they'll actually go down to about 20 degrees without damage. But lemons and limes and um, many of the oranges, now the so-called um, oh, the, the tangerines, uh, they are more cold hardy and the kumquats are a little more cold hardy but your lemon and lime it's probably they're probably going to stay in a pot for most of their life uh, or else you're going to have a lot of trouble protecting them the years that we get a really cold winter oh that makes sense i just thought they needed to go in the ground at some point so they oh no no and if you were buying new ones i would tell you to look for citrus that is grafted onto a special rootstock called flying dragon uh, which keeps the trees dwarf just like the m9 rootstock does in apple trees it keeps the trees dwarf so that they'll be better in pots but still allows them to make bigger fruit but um you pay a little more money for that and they're a little bit harder to find but uh, uh most all your citrus now things like satsumas they're gonna they're eventually gonna outgrow a pot and they're they're cold and hardy enough to put in the ground but many people have had citrus in the same pot for 20 or 30 years so there's no rush to get them in the ground well awesome well thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it Have a good well day. as always it's a pleasure talking to you and you do the same uh, okay greg are we are we headed for mondo next i believe that Hello? would be our I will be that. That's our next scholar. Good morning, Mondo. Uh, okay, go to Mark next, and then Mondo and Brad. All right, Mark, it's your turn. Good morning. Okay. All right, yes, sir. I had a, t- a couple of questions. So uh, I'm trying to grow carrots this year. What are your thoughts on what I should do and how to prepare everything? Well, carrots are grown strictly from seed. You don't ever buy them as little small plants. Um, stick with the shorter varieties. There's one called Nantes. There's one called Damper's Half Long. Uh, there's some little finger carrots, but uh, our big, long, super big, giant carrots like you see at the grocery store, they just don't do as well here. So stick with the smaller carrot. Uh, you're going to plant them from seed. Um, the seed is relatively tiny. And what you're going to get when they start coming up, it looks kind of like a mohawk haircut. And the most important thing you'll do is uh, go through and thin them out. There's no way that seed is so small, there's no way you'll be able to spread it out far enough as you plant it. So once it's come up, once they put on their first true leaves that actually look like carrot foliage, you're going to go through and thin them out to where the individual plants are about two inches apart. Uh, beyond that, it's just bright sunlight, you know, water, maybe a little bit of uh, liquid plant food periodically. Depending on the variety, it normally takes about 60 days for them to make a big carrot. They don't really mature, but uh, to get them up to a, a size that you know that you want to eat them raw or cooked, 
uh, it'll typically take about somewhere 50 to 70 days for them to produce. But the most important things are lots of light and be sure you thin them out to where the plants are about two inches apart. Otherwise, you'll have all top and no carrot. Okay. And then uh, I have some volunteer potato plants. Uh, should I pull those out or is it, can I let them grow and uh, will I get potatoes out of those? Well, it uh, the problem with potatoes is the tops freeze, and typically the white potatoes at least don't keep well in the soil. So if it's not a space that you need for something else, uh, water them, fertilize them, let them grow. Maybe this will be one of the years that we don't get a hard freeze until February. Uh, you're probably not going to get big baking potatoes, but um, if it, they have a couple of months to grow before it gets real cold, you could easily get some new potatoes from it. So you've got nothing to lose if it decides to freeze early. <laughs> well, then you'll know to start earlier next time. A lot of people grow potatoes in the fall, but it's just it's just a gamble as to when it's going to get cold enough to freeze the plants. But like I say, if you don't need that space for broccoli or cauliflower or something that you would otherwise be planting, leave them, let them grow and when that first hard freeze is forecast dig and enjoy what you have okay that sounds good i appreciate it uh i gotta let you go my mom's rushing me to get tacos i gotta go (laughs) you've got your priorities in order mark get out and do it all right uh we better get a break in here and looks like i get to talk to you about wild birds unlimited you know the people i talk about are people i know and wild birds unlimited i've known them for years and let me tell you it's a wonderful place to visit kyle and his staff do an outstanding job they are so knowledgeable they can answer well they've never let me down they've had an answer to every question i've had about birding or nature in general they have uh wonderful seed blends. I mean, birds need different seed at different times of the year. They know all about that. They have suet cake uh, enriched with many different things. It's really popular with the birds this time of year. They have the hot bird seed that the squirrels tend to leave alone, too. And they've got the best feeders and the best ways to feed the birds. They've got plenty of ways to offer water as well, including the traditional bird baths. But beyond the birds, still a great nature store. You'll find a lot of different useful things out there. I'm sure they have mason beehives, have bird houses, and they've got a great selection of gifts as well. Every Wild Birds Unlimited shops independently for their gift merchandise. Our store out there uh, here in San Antonio, it's out at the on uh, the shopping center right there at the corner of I-10, not I-10, uh, Northwest Military and uh, Hebner Road right there in Northwest San Antonio. They've got some of the best gift merchandise you will ever find, and it changes all the time. You just need to go see them. It's a fun place to visit, super nice people to visit with, and you're always welcome at Wild Birds Unlimited. You're also welcome to give a call anytime if you have a question. 479-BIRD, 210-479-BIRD. That's the number for Wild Birds Unlimited. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. I've actually got a couple of open phone lines. have been getting a busy signal. Dial quickly. You know the number, 210-599-5555. Mondo and Brad are my next two callers. Good morning, Mondo. Good morning. My son bought uh, a little plant at HEB, uh, the catnip, and they yes. started to and I asked them, or I told them, let's replant it, and we replanted it. Any special suggestions for what? I don't know what kind of plant it is. I don't know what it's used for, 
but it, just, <laughs> it, it, it makes the cats kind of go crazy. Yeah, and, it's kitty, kitty drugs, we call it, and uh, it's actually not bad for them. The cats will eat it as well as want to rub on it. It uh, improves appetite. Uh, um, anyway, it's a neat little plant. It's not a house plant. Uh, it's something that you guys will need to be growing out on a porch or a patio. It, uh, it can stay out right down real close to freezing, and then you may want to bring it inside. Don't put it in too big a pot. It was probably in about a three or four inch pot when you got it. Uh, no right. bigger than a six inch pot, and, uh, uh, just lots and lots of sun. We'll have him water it really thoroughly whenever it's dry on the surface. And, um, that'll just depend on how sunny it is and how warm it is. But, uh, uh, if you, do you have cats? Do you have a kitty cat or two? Just an inside cat, yes. Okay. Uh, and it's fine to bring it in and let the cat nibble on it a little bit. But if you, <laughs> I'm laughing because of the problems we have here at the nursery periodically where our cats want to get up in the flats of catnip and either lie down and wallow or they want to eat everything down to the pot. So bring it in and let your kitty enjoy a taste of it every now and then. And when it gets big enough that you can harvest a few leaves and dry them, um, you can make your own homemade catnip toys. Uh, there's a lot of in- entertainment and uh, absolutely nothing negative about giving your kitty cats uh, good organic catnip. And since you're growing it yourself, I know you'll grow it organically. But lots of sun and don't ever let it get dry. Those are the two things uh, that will help it grow well. Other than that, treat it just like you would any other herb. Grow it like you would parsley or oregano or um, peppermint or anything like that. And uh, <laughs> and you and your you and your cat will have some fun with it. Any particular food to give it to make it grow better, stronger? Or I'm I'm very fond of liquid fertilizers for plants like that, and uh, I I still my favorite are still the ones from uh, Medina. They make one called Haster Grow Plant. They make another one called Liquid Fish Blend, um, and and those are my favorites. Uh, the, I'm trying to remember. Fox Farms produces some okay liquid fertilizers, but uh, easy to find. And ones that I've used for years are the Liquid Medina fertilizer products, and they'll be good for any other house plants you have or anything else you get that youngster to growing. It's a great age to get started in the in the gardening hobby. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. You do the same, and I appreciate the call. Thank you. I think we have time to take Brad before we take our last break of the hour. Good morning, Brad. Good morning. Uh, I've got an oleander issue that I need your opinion on. Okay. Um, And this is, I have a barn dominium down in Rockport, Texas. I planted uh, a dozen uh, oleanders. It's the dwarf kind, I guess, that only grow about three or four foot tall. Yes, sir. Um, They were in three, three, uh, three gallon pots when I planted them. I put uh, the weed guard cloth down around them, and I put about two inches of pea gravel. And they've been, they grew, they just did phenomenal, man. They put on hundreds of flowers every year. Um, and they were planted uh, in April of 2021 after we had the really big freeze. Right. Okay. So uh, right before Christmas 2022, we had a really hard freeze down there. Mm-hmm. And it literally killed them to the ground. I waited till about March or early of April, and they were dead to the ground. I went and talked to Gill's Nursery about them, and they uh-huh. said you just cut them off at the ground, and they should come back. <clears throat> so I took a chainsaw and I just went and cut them right off at the ground. They took off, but within two weeks, I had sprouts coming out, and they were growing. 
they were just doing just like they said they would do. Mm-hmm. Now, during the course of the summer, I have some that are already about 18 inches tall. There's 12 of them. The, the About half of them started they started growing these what I'll call little pods. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new growth was coming out in these pods, probably about an inch in diameter, that had little undersized leaves coming out of them. And uh, I took a cutting and took it over to Gills, and they said, well, these these plants have a virus, and that's what's causing these little pods to, to pop up where the new growth would be coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, and they suggested that, well, you can try trimming them back, but you need to sterilize your cutting tool so that uh, it doesn't, uh, you don't spread the virus, so to speak. Uh-huh. But um, I just wanted to get your opinion on, and they also said you may want to consider just pulling them out and replanting, which, you know, these are not inexpensive plants. You know, sure, sure. So, well, it's unusual. What I could do. Yeah, it's unusual. I I don't think I've ever seen virus on oleanders, and um, I'm not real sure that's that's what it is. Viruses usually express themselves in unusual patterns in the leaves, and um, uh, they it sounds to me more like an insect gall of some sort. Now, I've known James and Sally Gill for a long time, and I'm sad that they've decided to close their nurseries, I understand. But I... Uh, if it is a virus, uh, again, sterilizing your cutting tools is a good idea because that's how it's spread, both by insects and by pruning. It's spread on your pruning shears and things like that. And even if you have a virus, if you'll treat with hydrogen peroxide, I've uh, I've seen plants that, and of course, the extension service will tell you, oh, there's nothing you can do. You got to rip them out and replace them. Um, but I've seen virus pretty much totally suppressed or even totally cured. So get yourself some uh, grocery store hydrogen peroxide just to be on the safe side. Uh, dilute it two parts water to one part peroxide and spray those plants foliage with it. Do it three or four times a week or two apart. And I think you will find that they will start putting on good healthy foliage now the one thing that i wish that you had done differently is to leave the weed block behind because weed block tends to just just totally destroy the soil underneath it i i use weed block occasionally if i want to kill everything in a edge of my garden where i want to make my garden bigger when i pull it up after four or six months the soil underneath it is absolutely horrible but uh, i can bring it back to life with compost and things like that but your oleander's root systems i can promise you uh, are really suffering oxygen deprivation down underneath the weed block so and and most of the time the weed block doesn't really stop the weeds it may stop what's underneath but not going to what's going to come in from above so if it were my bed i would rake the pea gravel back get rid of the weed block and then spread the pea gravel back over the surface and i think you'll have much healthier plants that will be much more resistant to all kinds of problems whether it is a canker which is probably bacterial or like I say, I just I God, I can't tell you how many oleanders <laughs> I've worked with in my life, and I have yet to see virus on them. So I suspect it was more a canker, which can either be caused by bacteria or can actually be caused by an insect. But in either case, if you will improve the health of the plants, they will outgrow it, uh, whether they're dwarf or you know standard oleanders, either one. So I sure wouldn't panic at this point, and I wouldn't be out there ripping them up. But I would get rid of that weed block. I would fertilize. I would 
with water. I would spray with hydrogen peroxide just to be on the safe side. And um, I'm pretty certain you're going to go back to the kind of uh, hedge you were hoping for when you first planted those plants. Should I cut those pods off before I, I spray the peroxide? It doesn't really matter. Again, uh, I, I really doubt that it's a virus, but um, uh, the plants will look a lot nicer. So I would, uh, I, I would if they were mine, and then I would just wipe my pruning shears off with alcohol or something like that when I move from one plant to the next. If you've got ten of these cankers on one plant, obviously there's no you're not worried about transferring something from one cut to another. So you only you only sterilize when you go from one plant to the next. But um, I I might get a second opinion because it sure sounds more like a canker than it does to a virus to me. And good health will naturally suppress the cankers. By the way, on the the the, the weed guard, I left about a foot around the plant. I didn't put the leaf guard down. I left it and just have gravel there. Yeah. So if I were just to, because it's a it's a the sheds. 50, 60 foot long. Uh huh. Well, if I could, if I just cut it back and just have gravel, maybe eighteen inches around the plant, would that, would that how, help? How big do you want your oleanders to have a root system? Do you want to have them eighteen inches wide, or do you want the root system to be ten feet wide? Uh, so uh, you need to take it all out then. Anywhere you want to have good, healthy roots underneath it, you need to take it out. I I hate to tell you that, but uh, it it really uh it it stunts plants to say the very at the very best and many times uh, i've seen a lot of plants especially when you get into wet weather in heavier soils now down where you are you've probably got sandier soil that drains a little bit better but uh i've seen plants in more heavier clay soils that simply die from the results of having the weed block around them so it was a good thing to leave it a foot around but it'd be a whole lot better to have it six feet back away from them Okay, and last question. Uh, I didn't get a single flower this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, after I cut them back, is that normal? No. No, the the dwarf oleanders should bloom almost constantly. Your bigger ones, uh, they can be a little bit more seasonal in blooming, and I don't know whether you have carnival. Do you happen to know which variety you have on your dwarf? I don't know. I don't. I didn't keep track of it. Yeah, you should, and they're not grafted. They're growing back from their original root system. So um, if they're getting good sun, good fertilizer, have a good healthy root system, you should have had flowers all summer long. So uh, we'll just hope that uh, next year's a better year for them. But uh, um, I wish I wish we could grow more of them up here. They're, as you found, not as cold-hardy as the big plants, but uh, you're in a great place. That's uh, one of the most colorful things you can put out, and typically – one of the uh of the most trouble-free plants now the problem oleanders do get a disease called bacterial leaf scorch uh which can kill plants but that's not what you're that's not what you're describing and with good culture you won't have a problem with that okay all righty well i'll give it a try and see what happens you report back to me i will Get out and catch a big trout or two for me when you have a chance. <laughs> if, the, if the wind would stop blowing, and, and I'd, I'd be doing it. Okay. Well, best of luck with that as well, and hopefully we'll all get some good rain this next week. You get out and have all a right. great day. Thank you so right. much. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, uh, Greg, let's get our last break done. I don't have a live here. We'll be back with some more phone calls. 
South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Frank and Joyce and Pat and Megan. Frank is first in line. Good morning, Frank. You with us, Frank? Good morning. Just dropped off. Well, then in that case, I guess it's Joyce's lucky day to get on so quickly. Good morning, Joyce. Good morning, Bob. I found well, a couple of things yesterday's show that I want to ask you. <laughs> well, it's always good to hear your voice. How can I help? Well, the orange ola maple that uh, uh, doc, your doctor talks about, uh-huh. and you said they're in the trade, but you didn't say whether – I guess shades of green will get them at some point. Is it just a question – of wait, a call every week and asking, or, or what? Well, it's just a, it's, yeah, that's that's probably the best thing. Um, and I, it, we typically we will get our maples normally. We get some in November. We get some again in February. And I'm going to have to talk to Wendy to see what the availability of them of them is right now, but. Uh, um, I'll I'll tell Maxwell to make a note of it, and if he can remember to, he'll call you. <laughs> he'll call you when they yeah. come in. But uh, yeah, it it would be best uh, to check back if they're available. I'm going to get quite a few of them because we do have a lot of requests. We've got some other beautiful ones out there, but orange oil is just orange ola is just one that uh, has been a little bit harder to find, maybe because it's gotten so popular. Is, do they come in different sizes usually? I mean, different size containers, or is it just yeah. different ones? Usually they go from about two-gallon size pots up to much larger, but usually they they get down yeah. to a manageable size like a two-gallon. Rarely do we see them in, in one-gallon containers, but two gallons, three gallons, five gallons, and then on yeah, up for folks that want to spend a lot of money and need a big plant today. Yeah, I always look for the smallest one. Anyway, <laughs> the other question is, in years past, you used to, on the back porch, get the little tiny, I guess they were treated, but anyway, the little tiny two-inch cyclamens, and they are uh-huh. so adorable to put a couple in a pot. Is that something you get uh, every year or, or try oh, yeah. to do it? Yeah, those those come out of California. Our bigger cyclamen come out of uh, Denver. In fact, we got the first few of those last week. We'll probably have more. Uh, the little minis come out of California. I haven't seen them on the availability yet, but uh, no, we love those and uh, am pretty much assured that there are going to be plenty of them available this year. Okay, well, that's good. Well, I can check on that. And the other thing is when they talked about fig trees, I have a uh, green Ischia and a little Miss Figgy, but neither uh-huh. one is seemingly a heavy bear. And, of course, I know I don't have enough sun. So that's and that's a big thing. thing, yeah. But what would you suggest out of all the fig trees when you were talking this morning about big ones, little ones that will do that? And uh, I live about a mile from Rhonda's where you go, uh-huh. so that's the area if you don't consider size or type or anything other than the one that would bear the most in in this area which one would be your choice alma a l m a 
like soul in Spanish. Uh, but Alma is one of the best figs. It's what we call a closed-in fig, so you never have it forms a little drop of rosin on the fig, so you don't have a problem with that little fruit weevil getting down inside of it. But uh, uh, Alma would probably be my number one choice for the hardiest, most problem-resistant fig out there. It does get pretty big, but that's what pruning shears were made for. Yeah, well, and I don't care about the eye or anything. I just want something that bears because I can put up with any of the rest of it. I like. Well, figs. the the problem with so many figs is uh, that 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 open end um, there is something called a fruit weevil that gets down in there and it turns your fruit sour before it really gets ready to eat. And uh, now many people, good organic growers, don't have a problem with the fruit weevils, but um, there are a few plants, uh, and Alma is probably the most commonly available one that have the unique quality that as the fig forms it forms a drop of rosin that seals up that little hole on the bottom end of it so that the weevils can't get in so uh, um, again you're a good gardener you probably don't have to worry about fruit weevils but uh, it just pretty much guarantees that they will never become a problem to you plus it's a tasty fig a very productive fig uh, but you may have to get somebody to do a little trimming for you to be sure you get enough light for them. Okay, well, I can do that. And the last thing is the next time you're at Rhonda's, the sprouts that's across the the parking, parking lot, lot there, uh-huh. Yeah, you were talking about baby bok choy. It's right. not all the time, but a lot of the time in their organic section, they have uh, baby bok choy available. And so when you're there, you might want to pop in and see if they do the cute little six-inch plants that oh, one yeah. little plant is a nice salad. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, yeah, my good friends, uh, Shu and John, you were the ones that turned me on to baby bok choy years ago. I'm glad to know where they're available, Joyce. And uh, I thank you for the call, and uh, you sound good. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday, and I'll look forward to our next visit. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, we're going to need to take a break here for the news, so uh, let me take just the 30 seconds left and remind you of a couple upcoming events. State Violet, African Violet Society, or African Violet Show, up in Kerrville next weekend at the end of the hills. Uh, Nature Fest, the big, big festival the Green Space Alliance just puts on, that comes up uh, the 4th of November down at Mission County Park. And uh, if you want to have a good dinner and dance among some vintage aircraft, consider the hangar dance go to hangardance.org and uh, you learn all about that that's the 11th of november right now it's news time here on ktsa radio san antonio texas south texas gardening with bob webster is on the air talk to bob now 210-599-5555 and if you hurry, you might get the one open line left. We're going to talk to Pat and Megan and uh, Ann, and uh, then maybe to you. So dial quickly. You just heard the number, 34, I'm sorry, 599-5555. Uh, let's get back to these calls, and Pat is first in line. Good morning, Pat. Good morning. Good uh, morning. I have a, a follow-on question to the lady that was calling about uh, raised bed, uh, vegetable garden beds. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, what about uh, cedar, like four inch by four inch cedar? Is that appropriate uh, to use? 
Well, if you, that's a great question. If you were talking about the cedar that comes out of the hill country, uh, if you have access to cedar logs out there, that would be ideal. If you go to a lumber yard and buy cedar, you're not getting juniper, which is what, you know, they've been making fence posts that last 100 years up in the hill country. What you buy at the lumber yard is western red cedar, and it will rot out almost as fast as pine does. So, uh, no, I do not recommend what the lumber yard will sell you for cedar but uh, if you're a creative person you can go out to one of the post yards as we call them and sell fence posts and you can build a very substantial raised bed out of that and it would be a good thing wow that makes okay. sense so, yes yes it does so the four inch if, if it's advertised as four inch by four inch that you're what you're don't use. yeah you're, you're looking at something that's going to rot out in about three years for you if it's in contact with soil and obviously if it's going to be part of a raised bed garden it's going to be in contact with soil uh if it's raised up above the ground it'll still rot but it'll it'll take a few years longer but you put uh you put that cedar in contact with the ground and uh come by the nursery sometime i can show you some mistakes that we've made over the years and you can see what happens to it but no that that's not what you want to build your raised bed out of Okay, the idea was for them to put some sort of a fabric uh, on the sides of the cedar so that it wouldn't be in contact. Well, the problem is that fabric's going to hold moisture against the wood, and it's going to rot even faster. Okay, good. All right. (laughs) I'm glad you called, too, for you you made mistakes that I've made over the years. (laughs) So uh, good luck with it. Call me anytime I can help, Pat. It's always a pleasure. One more question, if I... Okay, yeah, go right ahead. Go right ahead. Yes, uh, it's about cedar again, but this is about a plant called cryptomeria that Uh is uh, a golden dragon cryptomeria. They call it Uh a Japanese seed. Uh, Can we grow that here? Can you grow it? Can you grow it or can you grow it well? Um, They're a good little ornamental plant. I don't think I've ever seen one live for more than about three or four years. People get them, use them as little miniature Christmas trees and things like that. So um, it's it's something that you can grow, but it's not something that you can expect a really long life from. Even in a pot. This one is like two to three feet tall. Mm-hmm. And three to four wide. So are we talk- I guess we're talking about the same thing. Well, if you can, uh, if you can keep the temperatures twenty degrees or above, and the temperatures ninety-five degrees or below, then yeah, <laughs> good luck. Okay. Uh, and it, it's just that if you want to move to San Diego or somewhere like that, yeah, it'll be a beautiful, beautiful plant for you. But unfortunately, the extremes of South Texas weather generally shorten its life substantially. Okay, perfect. Thank you so very much. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for the call. Next in line is Megan. Good morning, Megan. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How about yourself today? I'm doing well. Um, I have a question. I have a, uh, I live out in the country, and uh-huh. I have um, acreage that I don't, it's cut for hay and stuff like that. Uh-huh. So I, wanna, I don't want to put a fence. I don't need a fence. So I want to put just a border of plants. And I really like ornamental grasses, uh, uh-huh. but I know there's some pros and cons. What's your recommendation? I like the pink muley because I like that color, and I uh-huh. like the purple one I've seen. But anyway, I want something I don't have to mess with too much or that doesn't 
I don't care about the seeds blowing everywhere. Sure, we have a lot sure. of land and it just blows away. <laughs> so which direction is your beautiful acreage? Do you ever see axis deer? Uh, I'm sorry, what? Do you ever see axis deer as opposed to whitetails? No, we, I live in post. Okay, okay, then, yeah, you, you'd be just fine, and there are lots of different ornamental grasses. The reason I ask about axis deer, uh, whitetails are browsers. They don't tend to eat grass. They eat sprouts. They eat, you know, some new seedlings of oats and things like that. Axis deer, on the other hand, are hay eaters. Uh, they're grass eaters, and they'll tear up your ornamental grasses. But if all you're dealing with is whitetails and you don't have goats or sheep or things like that, your ornamental grass will be just fine and there are lots of choices uh, uh, some of the different muley grasses uh, bamboo muley is another really pretty one the uh, uh, oh golly the the um, oh what's what I'm trying to say your, your pink flowered one the ruby crystals and winter gem and some of those are a little bit shorter but they're beautiful you can create uh, uh, you can create a beautiful bed of ornamental grasses. Be sure that you understand the size because some of them are going to get to be up, you know, four or five feet tall. Others, like your like your ruby crystals, are going to stay very dwarf. So be sure you put the, the small ones on the side that you're going to be looking at most and the taller ones behind. But you're in a perfect place, and if you can just give a little supplemental water when we get into a really dry spell, they should be a, a, just a very, very trouble-free plant for you. Most of them will freeze back in the winter months and they will be most attractive if you'll get in and trim them back just before the new growth begins but uh, um, insects no diseases no but they're they're going to be pretty pretty tough and resilient for you okay and um, I picked up one of your gardening calendar things last time I was in and it talks about spraying liquid seaweed do I do that every two weeks do I do that till the leaves fall off or is on there, what, I've only on got it once what kind of plants? Uh, my trees mainly, and shrubs like. Yeah, um, yeah I was going to say your ornamental grasses. <laughs> it's not they'll be happy with it, but it's not really necessary. If you're fighting spider mites, as you would be on tomato plants, or you might be on you know some of the privets and things like that. Yeah, spraying every two weeks is good. If you're just looking to maintain their good health. Uh, every six weeks year-round, whether the plants still have leaves on them or not, uh, it's a real, real good uh, means to give them a lot of micronutrients. If it's something like pyracanth or something that does occasionally have more insect problems, spraying every three weeks or so through the growing season will be very important. Oh, okay. I was looking at it to beef things up before to winterize things oh yeah yeah cold hardiness uh yes uh you need to start at least six weeks before it gets really cold but uh and it's not as critical you're not going to get as much benefit from it once the leaves are off things but uh it, it remember that even though we can't see them the stems the leaves the roots of our plants are covered many layers deep with uh, microbial life which helps maintain the health of the plant so it's a good thing to do year round oh okay even after we've had a freeze even after we've had a freeze not as critical then um but uh it's just you know it's kind of like you don't take vitamins even if you feel i mean you take vitamins whether you feel really good and healthy or not because you want to stay feeling real good and healthy and your plants are the same way they'll benefit from it anytime but it's very important when they're in active growth 
Okay, and um, I do have my last question. I do have um, a large dead area that I just don't water because I don't care if there's grass there or not. It's outside my yard, mm-hmm. but it is after the two summers. I mean, it is dead. Usually, when we get rain, the the Bermuda will go in there, and it just didn't this year ever come back. If I want to plant something just for the health of the soil, not because I'm looking for something green over the winter, do I do something over the winter or do I just wait until spring? You know, something that'll help loosen up and rejuvenate the soil. Well, cover crops, especially legumes like vetch and clovers and things like that, will very definitely help to loosen the soil. Of course, then you're kind of counting on our getting rain and having it continue, which I hope will be the case. But, um, I, it, if your land's really flat, it's it's a good idea. If your land has any slope to it and erosion is likely to be a problem, then it's pretty much essential because, uh, as you well know, <laughs> that, that, that soil can go down to your neighbors pretty quickly when we get a really hard yeah, rain. Yeah. So, no, uh, But it, just to, to maintain the health of the soil, to get things to grow well in the spring. Uh, I mean, you can throw out some, can't grow coastal from seed, obviously, but if you wanted to throw some common Bermuda back there or something just to hold the soil, if you wanted to have a wildflower patch out there, all those things would be good reasons to increase the vitality and health of the soil. So, yeah, it's good to plant a cover crop if you have the time and the energy. Uh, if you have access, uh, as many country folks do, to uh, manure from animals that haven't been eating pickleram treated hay just a manure compost over the top of it will probably do more to improve the soil than any one thing that you could do okay okay and i forgot is there an online place i can look up drought tolerant and gyroscape plants that you would recommend Check out uh, check out Howard Garrett's website at dirtdoctor.com. Unfortunately, most of what you see on the Internet is going to be from a different part of the country. And, uh, you know, Texas is its own country. <laughs> and, so what uh, we would recommend for the Dallas area generally works down here. It correct? generally works very well down here. Okay. Well, I will do that. Well, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Thank you for the call this okay. morning. Sure. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, Greg, let's run our recorded commercials and get back for some more phone calls. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Hank and Ann and Scott and Terry. Hank is first in line. Good morning, Hank. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Yeah. Plumbagos. We've had that's the only thing that's made it in Bulverde with no problems out in this drought. And yes, sir. Is now a good time to plant them? It just kind of depends on what you think the winter is going to do. Plumbago, once it's established, even in a cold winter, and gosh, even in the 2021 winter, when it got down in single digits at my house, my plumbago came back very well, but it had been in the ground for several years. So the problem with planting it now is if we get early cold before it gets well established, you know, it could suffer. Uh, if we end up, as a lot of people are saying, with a milder winter, yeah, you, you'll make your yourself look really good planting it now but um, most winters you don't have to do anything except mulch it if you plant it now 
and it's, we get a real cold forecast, you might have to cover it. So it's up to you. If you're planning to, you know, go south for the winter or something like that, no, wait and plant it in the spring. If you're going to be home where you could cover it, if we do get really cold weather coming, then you're fine to plant it right now. So you tell me the weather, I'll tell you whether it's a good idea or not. <laughs> okay. Uh, I got another question on a maple tree I had in the ground. It's been in the ground 10 or 15 years. hadn't grown much, but it's starting to bush out now. Well, through this heat this year, it turned brown. Yep. I wonder if it's sunburned. I mean, the little limbs aren't crisp and, and breaking off. Yep. It's, it'll almost certainly come back. Yeah, it. Uh, most all of the uh, of the really pretty maples, the big tooths are the only things that really didn't have any problems this summer, and some of them did. But uh, we saw a lot of leaf scorch. We saw you know a lot of of leaves even in the shade that just burned from the heat. But uh, the maples that I have looked at, including in quite a number that we have here at the nursery, they're going to come back just fine. I, I at this point I would not be concerned. Yeah, we got it years ago up there at the Apple Store in Medina, and yeah, nothing grows much. It comes back green every year, but it acts like it wanted to start taking off, and uh, <laughs> it's got little fuzzy moss-looking stuff. It and the red buds have got this stuff. I don't know if that's what they call scale. This fuzzy moss stuff all over no. the. Bottom. No, that's that's called a lichen, L-I-C-H-E-N, totally harmless to the tree. It's an interesting little um, symbiotic plant relationship thing, but uh, uh, that's a normal thing to have growing on the bark of the trees. It's not parasitic. It's not taking anything away from the tree, and you absolutely do not need to worry about it. Okay, but if I just didn't want to see it anymore, would neem oil uh, make it go away? No, it's a plant, not an insect. Um, you could spray it, I guess, with a little orange oil and vinegar. You could probably spray it. You might even spray it. Hydrogen peroxide might kill it, uh, but it's going to come back. It's uh, But it's just used in the bark as a place to grow. There's, uh, it, Other than not being especially attractive, it has absolutely no threat to your plants and they grow on rocks and you know dead limbs and fence posts and everything else so nothing to worry about but if you don't like it i'd first of all start with a little uh, hydrogen peroxide is probably what i'd spray it with if that doesn't work i'd uh give it a light spraying with vinegar okay well thanks thanks for answering your phone today well, <laughs> we answer it every day, and uh, uh, especially here on KTSA on Saturday and Sunday morning. So you get out and have a great day, and uh, I know we'll talk again. And uh, I believe Ann is next in line. Good morning, Ann. Good morning. Good morning. I, I can barely hear you. You're where now? I live in New Comfort. Oh, in Comfort. Yes, yeah, certainly. Off the speaker. There, that's I, a lot I better. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I took it off the speaker. Um, early in the spring, I went to the headwaters. I don't know if you're familiar with New Braunfels, and they yeah. had a big plant sale, and they right. gave me a little cowpan daisy. Uh huh. And I planted it in a big pot. Well, the little cowpan daisy is now four to five feet tall. Uh huh. And it's gone crazy all summer. The deer leave it alone. <laughs> I don't know what to do with it now. My husband even made a little trellis, you know. I, and I uh-huh. have it tied to the trellis. So mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. It's still getting little blossoms on it. It's got stems sticking out all over the side. Mm-hmm. So I cut it down, 
help. <laughs> let it, it's probably going to freeze this winter. Just okay. let it go, cut it back when it freezes, and I hope you like it because I know a lot of ranchers that think it's the worst weed that grows in their pasture. Right. So it's, uh, you know, it, it, but it's a pretty plant, and if you're not it's concerned crazy. about it, yeah, if you're not concerned about it shading out your hay crop or whatever else, uh, no, I don't yeah. find it I, objectionable, but uh, I hope you like it because once you've got it you've got it you'll never be rid of it but uh well it's yeah a it, pot a big pot so yeah but it's his thrown seed everywhere <laughs> so i uh, you're gonna find it Ooh. yeah you, uh, i may Ooh. have to talk to the that's a really great thing they're doing at the headwaters there it's a great organization yeah, I but uh yeah. i might not have suggested cow pen days <laughs> you, oh, you, you yeah, might make more enemies more enemies than friends but uh now just let it grow and bloom and enjoy okay. it but uh um if you tend to find that you have more of it than you want in the future as the flowers fade cut them off so they don't uh continue to make seed because uh, it yeah, will produce yeah. a a very thick stand of calpan daisies for you Oh, because I even cut a bunch of seeds off, and I got implanted in little pots on my windowsill. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, my, I, my old college I'm horticulture, uh, my my college horticulture teacher said a weed is merely a plant in the wrong place. So if you like it, it's a wonderful plant. I but do. if you don't like it, it's a weed, depending on who you ask. Plus, the deer won't eat it. Yep, they leave it alone. So yep. that's a good thing. Absolutely, okay. and it well, loves the sun, and uh, it it, yeah, it freezes do. down, but it comes back. So, well, it's good to hear your okay. voice. You get out and enjoy this Sunday, and uh, we'll talk again. All right. Thank you so much. Thank Bye-bye. you, Ann. Goodbye. Uh, let's see. I think we've got time to get another call in here before we take a break, and that would be Scott. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. Good morning, sir. I'm not sure if this is a you question or a Dr. Dur- Kirby question or both. I have a lab that was bit on the nose last week by a 10-inch rattlesnake. Okay. Killed another rattlesnake uh, last night. Is there Uh anything to put in the yard to get rid of rattlers? Well, that's an excellent question, and Dr. Kirby could probably answer it too, but I've dealt with rattlesnakes most of my life, and they don't bother me as long as I see them first. Um general biology of a rattlesnake they are creatures that that typically den up in the winter months and um the female rattlesnakes probably not going to move more than a mile away you know from the den during the season male rattlesnakes can move 8 to 10 miles away from the den so this oh, is wow. the time of this is a time of year we see we see snakes moving through those the the rattlesnakes you're seeing now are most likely the males and they were somewhere else yesterday they'll be somewhere else tomorrow so as far as having a resident population of rattlesnakes on my ranch I always found that if I ever let the rats get out of control in the barn then I'm going to end up with rattlesnakes and simply by eliminating their common food source which is most commonly rats and mice um, then I would rarely ever see a rattlesnake but this time of year uh, you can you're quite likely to see them moving through if there are any in your area now as a general thing to keep them out of a garden 
garden, places like that. If we put out just about anything that has cedar oil in it, it's pretty good repellent, and they don't like it. They don't hang around. There's a more toxic product they call Snake Away, based on the same thing that goes into mothballs, and I'm not really going to tell you it's real good for your puppy dogs either. But... Um, so that's a long answer to a short question. The snakes that you see are probably not looking to stay around your place. So it, putting out a repellent might or might not make a move through a little bit more quickly. But uh, the, the rattlesnakes that you see right now are, for the most part, on their way to somewhere else to spend the winter. So... Um, as you, as Dr. Kirby would certainly tell you, it's very important to keep that, keep a little bit of the, uh, you know, get your, your, give your dog the rattlesnake vaccine on a yearly basis. It's interesting, uh, we were both out of town last Sunday, but the Sunday before we were talking about uh, anaphylactic shock and things like that, and uh, uh, obviously that's something you get more from bee stings than you do from snakes, but he was recommending that a little bit of a very mild steroid steroid i believe he spoke of dexamethasone or dex as they all call it he said that's a great thing to keep on hand um and it saves a lot of dogs lives that have gotten bitten by a big snake even ones that have been vaccinated so um i it wouldn't hurt you and since you're a country guy you probably know how to give a shot but uh talk to your vet about getting you know a syringe of dex to have on hand when you have a lot of rattlesnakes around but uh it's not practical there's not really anything you can do short of building a snake fence that will guarantee that the rattlers don't show up in the yard occasionally when you when you live in the country all right yeah we keep everything mowed down and and i've haven't seen any rats or mice but you're i guess you said you're in a country you never yeah, and, and again, the snakes you're seeing are probably not resident snakes that actually live on your property, unless you measure your property in sections rather than acres, but um, you're seeing snakes that are moving through and... Um, I mean, if you were, if you if you raised extremely expensive dogs or show dogs or something like that, you can put up uh, a dense, almost a hardware cloth barrier, and uh, snakes not going to go over anything that's more than two or three feet high. You could make your yard snake proof. Is it necessary? Is it worthy? Worth it? For ninety nine percent of us, no. Okay, appreciate you. Always a pleasure. And give that pup a pet for us. Yes, sir. Okay. Thanks, Scott. Uh, I guess now, Craig, uh, let's get a break out of the way. And when we come back, Terry will be up first. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Let's get right straight back to the phone lines. And uh, looks like it's going to be Terry and Robert and Dana. Terry's up first. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Well, thank you for calling. <laughs> Very You're good. Um, I live in Corpus, and because of the drought, I, I've got tiny, tiny little ants all over the place. First, I started seeing them in, in the pots, but now they seem to be in the yard. Mm-hmm. And they, they're tiny. They dart all over the place. They, you know, uh, are these crazy ants, or how do and how do I get rid of them? I do they try, bite? Uh, 
No. Do they bite? Okay. Then they could be, golly, there are over 100 species of ants, and uh, Mm -hmm. everybody I talk to is seeing more and more different kinds of ants than we've ever seen before. Um, Inside your home, you can make a bait for them, just, you know, equal parts, just a teaspoon or so. They're not inside. Okay, okay. They're just outside in in my flower pot and in the yard now. I hope they'll stay there. Then uh, yeah. what you need is called spinosad. Spinosad is a natural insecticide. It's a very good ant killer, uh, but it's totally safe for kids and pets and people and everybody else. In fact, mm-hmm. it's so safe, uh, there's a special form of it uh, that we give to dogs to, to prevent fleas. But uh, you can you can get spinosad, or even better, you can get something called spinosad soap that you can simply spray around the yard for your flower pots, I would uh, just put some of it in a watering can and, uh, you know, mix with water, of course, and just water your plants with it. It's not an oil. It's not going to burn or hurt your plants in any way, but it will kill the ants that are down in the soil. And uh, it's spinosad. I'd, I'd stay away from, oh, anywhere that bees are active or butterflies are active because it could bother those creatures. But just in the grass, just in your pots and things like that, no, it's mm-hmm. perfectly safe. And uh, uh, in this case, uh, in your pots, you're not going to spray it on your plants. You're only going to, you know, pour it in the soil. So even if these were pots, you had something in to attract the monarchs that are migrating through Corpus right now, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not going to bother the things... Uh, it's not because you're not going to be spraying it up on the foliage. It's not going to bother your butterflies or bees or anything like that. So I think it'd be a very safe product for you to use. And maybe okay, usually, just I, usually when I had when I would see ant ant pills, mm-hmm. I would put the diatomaceous earth, and right. they would disappear. But yep. these ones are, and I know it's because of the drought, because it's yep. so hot over here and dry and dry. <laughs> Yeah, and and DE, diatomaceous earth, is very effective, but it has to be dry to be effective. And so I'm not going to tell you to put it in your pots because next time you water, it's not going to work anymore. It's why I think diatomaceous earth is a little better choice. But if you see a mound of them or something like that, yeah, Mm -hmm. uh, DE works because it's an abrasive. It gets down in the ant's joints, and it starts slicing and cutting. And ants don't have a system of blood vessels like we do. Their body juices, so to speak, are in something we call a hemocele, and it just uh, it just cuts through that, and they dehydrate and die. So diatomaceous earth is a very effective ant killer, but uh, I, it, it would be prohibitive to try to treat your whole yard with it. And like yeah. I say, your pants, the plants that are in the pots, uh, if it was the only thing I had, I'd actually flip the pot over, slide the plant out, dust the root system real heavily with diatomaceous earth, then put it back in the pot and go as long as I could before I watered, and that would kill the ants, but uh, the spinosad is a very safe product uh, for everybody except the ants. Okay, I'll try that. Thank you so much for your help. You have a best it's, weekend. You okay. do the same. You do the same, right. and I do. Thank you so much. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, uh, I believe next in line is going to be Robert. Good morning, Robert. Oh, good morning, sir. Um, I uh, found out yesterday that the reason my um, St. Augustine has been dying for the last three or four months is because I have sense bugs. I thought I wasn't watering it enough. Uh, you know, I was doing just like 20 minutes uh, a week uh, along the schedule, and 
I was just trying to get it through the summer so it could, sure. you know, sprout out in the fall. But come find out, most of it's dead. I, I'm, at least a third, if not a half, of my yard is dead now. And um, where are you located? I, I've been trying. I'm north of the airport, probably where all the Stonies have, are. Probably don't have chinch bugs. Uh, chinch bugs are very rare in San Antonio. We're seeing a lot of grubworm damage, but. Um, Anyway, that's beside the point. You've got some dead grass out there. Is it just big dead areas, or is there live green grass here and there through the middle of it? There's a few little sparse uh, bits that, that are growing in the dying areas, and then there's uh-huh. just areas that are totally dead. I showed it to a gal at Rainbow Gardens, and she said that, uh, yeah, that's cinch bugs. Uh, I had a, a video that I took <laughs> of the grass. So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I know I need to do something, and today's my day to do it. I was going to go buy some, uh, you know, um, some type of chemical that would kill them. But the problem is uh, I've, I've got three things here that I've gotten over the years, and none of them say cinch bugs on it. Yeah. Well, the your, your, the best thing you could do for that grass would be to buy some compost. Uh, put half an inch of compost over it, water thoroughly. Um, that's going to, um, that's going to help the grasses there come back to life and start spreading. Um, uh, it would, like I say, I, and I hate to doubt somebody else's word, but, uh, if you want to know if you have chinch bugs, here's what you do. You take a, a coffee can or something like that, cut out both ends of it, press it down into the grass and fill it with water. If you have chinch bugs, you'll see them come floating up to the surface. Most of them have wings, have kind of a little diamond shape to them. But um, I probably see a hundred pieces of grass that are damaged by grubs for every one that I see. Chinch bugs are very common in coastal areas. If you were calling me from Corpus Christi, that's why I ask where you live. If you were calling me from Corpus Christi, I'd say, yeah, probably got chinch bugs, and you want to go after them with a spinosad or something like that. And if you want to buy a safe chemical for you and the pets and something that will kill them, uh, spinosad liquid, or there are granular forms you can get, would be what I would choose. But I, I I just don't think it's chinch bugs. Uh, if it is, um, uh, beneficial nematodes are going to be a better choice. They will take care of fire ants. They will take care of fleas. They will take care of uh, any grubs that are out there. But there are virtually no grubs active at this time. Come fall, yeah, we'll start worrying about other things. But if I were going to spend money to try to revive your grass, I'd spend it on uh, I'd spend it on compost rather than chemicals. So are you saying that you're relatively certain it's not cinch bugs? I'm saying I'm about 98% certain it's not cinch bugs. But I say if if you if you want to test, do your own tests. Get your, you know, get a Folgers coffee can. I'm not a coffee drinker, but there are plenty of coffee drinkers around. But get some some can that's, you know, a, it could be a peaches can, something that's about four, five, six yeah. inches in diameter. Cut out both ends. Go out and press it down into the grass and fill it with water. Within two or three minutes, you will see little insects come floating up. They're going to be about... Ah, three sixteenths of an inch long. They're going to have wings. They're going to have kind of a diamond pattern in the middle of the wings. If you can do that and you tell me that you have chinch bugs, yeah, then I'll I'll tell you to get spinosad or something like that. But I hate to see you spend money when I, I just really don't 
think that's what you have, but you do your own chinch bug test. That, that'll tell you, you can find out in five minutes whether you've got chinch bugs or not. Okay, and, and if, if, it, if it's not, well, regardless whether it's that or not, you're saying get some compost and yeah. spread it. Yeah, get, get some good compost. Um, the Nature's Creation makes uh, uh, a, a good bagged compost. I don't think you're going to get enough to want to get a pickup truck full. And uh, if you shop regularly at Rainbow Gardens, I know they keep Nature's Creation compost there. Um, God, I've, I've known the people at Rainbow for a lot of years, but not everybody there is experienced as some are, and we'll just leave it at that. But uh, if you want to buy bagged compost and if you shop regularly at Rainbow, they're going to be a good place for you to go get it. Okay. Uh, could I ask you one more thing about something totally different? Of course. Different? Of course. I have, a, I have a Monterey oak that I planted in the front yard. I got it um, from, uh, was it, is it? Fanix yeah. Nursery. Yeah, Fanix Nursery like on the southeast side. Yeah. Yeah, I got it about five years ago uh, and put it in the ground. And I've had a a big four-inch, um, like, fence around it uh-huh. uh, to keep the deer away from it and keep them from, you know, butting their head against it. You know, that's <laughs> right. another tree that, that was here before I moved in. Yeah. But anyway, when can I take that down? Because right now it's about maybe four or five inches in diameter i mean it's it's a good healthy tree and it's got lots mm-hmm. of acorns on it i mean it's gonna it's my my legacy to the park i guess is uh <laughs> i'll be feeding the deer long after i'm gone well and and uh, the definition of a statesman by i don't know whether it's thomas jefferson or madison or somebody said is uh uh, a, a true man plants a tree under whose shade he knows he will never sit. So planting a tree is always a good thing. But uh, if you've ever watched a, a buck rub its antlers on trees, a tree, I mean, it's got to, it's got to have thick, rough bark all over it before it's going to be immune from, uh, you know, from potential deer damage. I will tell you what I do in my own yard in places where I have trees that I want to protect is in the late summer, early fall, time when the when the bucks usually start rubbing either marking territory or rubbing velvet off but um let's say you tell me you've got about a, a four inch caliper tree i would take two or three iron t-posts just metal fence posts i put them up against the trunk of the tree and i put a piece of baling wire around the top and around the bottom the deer do not want to rub on a metal fence post and then when we get you know beyond the rut i'll I'll take them off so it's something that i just put on and off and um but otherwise uh you're going to have to protect that tree till it's 15 inches in diameter to be certain that the deer aren't going to damage it so that that's how i handle the problem and i tell you i've seen i've seen many a tree killed by deer rubbing on it horses eating on it not going to be so much of a problem with your oak but if you're fortunate enough to have gumbo mealy and things like that, people don't realize how many porcupines we have in the hill country, and they kill huge numbers of trees. So um, <laughs> there, there are lots of things working against us these days to, you know, let little trees become big trees. But uh, uh, you're either going to leave your cage around it for several more years, or you're just going to use a little different method to keep the deer away from it. I was thinking of... Uh minimizing the diameter of it to just put it around like maybe a foot around the bark or the the trunk of the tree 
Oh, that's fine. They're going to eat the leaves and the acorns that they can reach, which uh, this yeah, has prevented that. I mean, yeah, they're going to yeah, they're going to stand across. Uh, yeah, they're going to stand up on their hind feet and eat six feet up. My one of our employees here has a problem. They come up on her front porch and stand up on their feet and eat her hanging baskets. So uh, that's that's <laughs> the one thing you're doing. You're protecting the foliage, uh, and they're going to eat on that, but they're not going to kill your tree. Girdling the bark, it will kill the tree, and that's what uh, if you reduce the diameter of your of your cage around it you're going to prevent girdling which is a good thing but um if you're really trying to protect the foliage and have a cosmetically beautiful tree uh the deer are going to work against you on that yeah okay you can always build a big you could always build a big fence and uh get some dogs to stay awake at night (laughs) or but uh no if if, and and you're talking to somebody that lives outside of bernie and you know deer out there all the time it's just it's just something we put up with but uh again until it gets a real hard rough bark you're always in danger of having them girdle and if you're worried more about eating the foliage uh not much to do so build a cage around them all right. Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure. Thank you for the call this morning. Greg, let's get our last break of the show done, and then we'll be back and start with Dana. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right. Back to gardening. By the way, we're just a little over 10 minutes away from Dr. Kirby's show, and uh so far as I know, he'll be sitting right here beside me when 11 o'clock rolls around. So be thinking about your questions about your pet's health, which is what we always do on Sundays from 11 till noon here on KTSA Radio. Got time for a few more phone calls, though. It's going to be Dana and uh, John and Shirley. Dana is up first. Good morning, Dana. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I, I, I would like to get your advice on how to get some perennials through the winter uh, that I'm having to dig right now. The new planting bed won't be ready until probably January, February. Okay. And I'd rather not overwinter them in the garage. So I was wondering about just healing them in like it's uh, against the south wall of our house where it would be kind mm-hmm. of warm. And how would that be for, for getting them through? I tell you what, you can tell you, you've been gardening for a while if you know the term healing them in. Uh, <laughs> tell, tell me what kind of perennials we're talking about. Uh, well, I've got some uh, coneflower, some white vein pipe vine, rain lilies, some clematis. That's okay. Uh, you healing a man would probably do uh, if we were talking, you know, softer plants like some of the some of the salvias that typically freeze down. I wouldn't recommend it as highly there, but you're talking some hardy perennials. So, yeah, healing in is probably going to be will get us through a typical winter. I never say normal, but uh, if it if it should turn off bitterly cold, you can always put a little row cover, a little insulator, something like that over them. So, uh, yeah, healing them in should be fine. Uh, heal them in using compost. Uh, old days, we would use hay or sawdust or whatever, but nowadays, just good manure compost is probably the best thing to heal them in with. Yeah. Oh, and I forgot to tell you, I'm in Zone uh, 7A. I'm in North Central Arkansas. Oh, okay, um, okay. Yeah. yeah, I think all the same. <laughs> I'm just going to use a little bit more mulch over them. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, and I would be sure that they're not where they're going to get a lot of rainfall from the roof. If uh, if you, yeah. you know, don't have guttering there, uh, then I'd just, you know, I'd, I'd be out there just mulching up leaves, running your mower through them, and just literally cover them, um, you know, except for the very tops of them. Uh, what I, What we've seen done at the Atlanta Botanical Garden, which is a little more comparable in temperature to you they just uh they'll take fence wire uh just cheap old fence uh wire and build it in and you know bend it into about an 18 inch diameter silo they put this down over their perennials and just fill it up with leaves and uh that's how they get things in the ground through the winter so i mean if you're in an area that you could just basically you, you don't want a, anything that's so heavy that's why i'm backing off the compost now you don't want anything so heavy that's going to hold moisture for a long period of time but as you know air is the best insulator in the world so you know heal them in and then cover them up with whatever you can and uh, um, should get through even in Arkansas you should get through the winter without any problem okay now do I need to have them in pots or would they just be <clears throat> just be bare rooted down into the whatever I'm covering them with. Well, it actually probably would be better out of the pots, uh, hopefully not truly bare-rooted, but, um, no. you know, you can pop them out of the pot. They're not going to grow a lot of roots through the winter months, so it's not like you're going to have a lot of trouble, you know, getting them back up in the spring. But I, I probably would slip them out of the pots uh, just because it'll be a little bit easier to keep them properly watered, and uh, I just don't think, I think there's some negatives and not many positives to leaving them in the pots for what you're proposing to do. Yeah. Okay. So to make sure I understand, I don't want to mound the dirt, mound dirt up around them. More no. like loose than leaves. Yeah, leaf mold or something around. like that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Bob. I appreciate it. Well, I, I appreciate the call. I have to tell you, you're not my most long-distance caller. I had a lady in the nursery yesterday that tells me she listens to me Saturday and Sunday in the nation of Greece every weekend. Oh, so <laughs> Arkansas is a little bit closer to home, but I'm glad to hear your voice and wish you the best on that day. And to keep me posted on how things do. And let's talk to John. Good morning, John. Good morning, sir. My question is a very, well, I think it's a very simple question, but um, I've got a type of weed that I've, I used to have a home on the on the south side, so mm-hmm. now I moved to the northeast. Okay. But um, there, there's a weed, it, it's like a very green um, weed. It looks, it resembles grass, but it's not grass. It's thicker than grass and it grows horizontally yeah probably what we call centipede grass or something like that what is your basic lawn grass it's st uh, augustine or bermuda or what it's no it's st augustine but that one the uh, i noticed a neighbor's uh, yard um you know has a lot of it and it's slowly coming my way and yeah. right now it's growing a uh, a small uh, flower, it's like a, maybe a quarter of an inch white mm-hmm. uh, petals yep. Yep. with uh, yellow in the center. 
Right. And it, yeah, it's, your your St. Augustine, if you keep your St. Augustine healthy, is strong enough to choke it out. Now, um, the problem is the things that kill this weedy invader uh, would also be hard on your permanent grass. So there's not really something I can tell you to spray on that'll kill it without hurting the other. But St. Augustine is her toughest, hardiest grass. It's had a hard, hard summer. But uh, now that the weather is more moderate now that it looks like we may get some good rainfall healthy saint augustine will choke that out completely uh so that's what i'm going to tell you to do fertilize put a little bit of compost over the area especially on the side of the yard where this stuff seems to be invading from and chances are you'll stop it completely if you do get some of it started then we talk about using orange oil and vinegar or something like that to kill it back but don't want to do that because that would set your grass back too but for now do your fall fertilizing put about half an inch of compost over the area and i don't think it's going to come into your yard okay and uh so is there like a website to go to to find out what what type of weed this is um it's hard it's just like texas grasses the the book on there is about a thousand two hundred pages thick uh you can try but most of the websites are written for other parts of the country go to dirtdoctor.com howard does have a section on weeds in there and that would be your best chance of identifying it it's at dirtdoctor.com right okay okay great and you are correct right i I have noticed when it was raining quite a lot Mm -hmm. that i mean it would just choke it out to where maybe you would see one here and there, but not, yeah. not as we <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully we're going to get back to good rain again. John, I'm going to let you go so I can get Shirley in here before the show's over. Shirley, quickly, how can I help you? Uh, about 50 years ago, my brother-in-law gave me some of the old-fashioned pipe amaryllis. Uh-huh. And I, have, I had one bulb left that I planted. It has multiplied. When do I dig it? and divide it. Um, now is probably as good a time of year as there is. Your amaryllis, uh, this is probably what they call American amaryllis. Uh, they tend to, kind. yeah, they they tend to stop growing. They get kind of dormant toward the end of the summer, uh, and this is the safest and best time uh, to dig them, divide them, and replant them. I would mulch them uh, with something, some kind of loose mulch this winter, just because they're going to be a little bit more tender, having been shocked a little bit by digging and dividing but uh uh i would i would do it in the next two weeks if you possibly can okay sounds good and if you uh, want to if you well i appreciate that if you decide to put a few of them in pots you can do that and grow them through the winter that way and then you know plant them in even more areas around your yard if you want to look it up that is probably called amaryllis johnson eye like johnson with two eyes on the end of it you can read all about it you're a lucky lady to have them in your yard they're uh they're something we don't see very often and it's a, a beautiful plant so i appreciate yeah. the call well, everybody else get out and garden. Question. five one seconds uh-huh okay uh, suckers off of oak trees. It's now the time to cut them off. You can cut them any time. You don't hurt don't hurt a thing, and don't worry about uh, just mow them off if you can. But now, uh, uh, if it's up in the tree, be sure and use pruning paint. This is KTSA Radio.